Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, once again, I know two weeks in a row, I'm alone. I understand. I know. Yes, you would like Alex sitting right next to me. And in my mind, he is. I have, well, I mean, it's a conscious thing, more or less. But don't worry. He'll be back next week. We got to make sure we get him on because it's going to be a big show next week. Because next week, obviously, the last show before the playoffs. Now, will we move to twice a week? I don't know. That is up in the air at this time. But we're glad you can join us here once again on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, or catching us on 12OunceSportsRadio.com, or watching the replay on the Cule Show YouTube channel, or listening. And of course, thank you for listening and watching. However you're viewing this, thank you very much, of course. And we're just glad that you all can be honest because, you know, it's a nice, calm Monday compared to last week. You know, last week, you know, with everything starting up, all the training camp, we were losing our mind. Jim Jackson, him and I were going crazy. I mean, we weren't going crazy. We were having a nice civil conversation. But it's another great week. We're getting closer to the games going on the ice. We're getting a little bit closer to actual playoff action, meaningful games, meaningful games for the first time in over three months. It'll be three and a half months, guys, since we've had an actual NHL game by the time August 1st runs around. So I'm really excited for that. Then, of course, when you're watching today's show, get involved, whether you're in the comments section, whether it be on YouTube, whether you be commenting on the Twitter, the Facebook, wherever you're commenting on, make sure you get involved on those social media sites by using the hashtag TKS or hashtag The Kill Show if you really want to spell it out. Make sure you follow us, of course, as well, and tweet us and go on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at the Kuehl Show on all of those networks because, you know, I mean, you know, you got to, I, I think like to think we have some good content that we post out on non-show days, of course, but of course we would also be remiss if we didn't also thank our sponsors for today's show. Second string leather right here, right here, right here. I think it's right up here in this corner, second string leather company. They got a big sale going on right now, guys. Second string leather. Look at this shirt. It looks pretty nice. eh? You can get this shirt and a bunch of other items at discounted prices right now. Collection 5, a huge sale, 40% off wallets. Your love, your lovely waffle board wallets or your Brian's wallets, whatever you like, your favorite old classic 90s pads in wallet form, 40% off right now. Also, bathroom bags, watch bands, belts, everything marked down right now. Big blowout sale. Well, not a big blowout sale, just a big sale on secondstringleather.com. Make sure you go check those guys out and get awesome equipment, awesome gear, if you will. I mean, it is gear that's turned into gear. It's gear forever. That's why it's called second string, even though it's coming from the third string goaltender. Hey, second string leather, hashtag crafted from the crease. And of course, once again, mybookie.com in this corner over here, somewhere you see it. Mybookie.com, bet on all sports, win and get paid. Make sure you use the promo code 12 ounce sports and join for free today. On today's program, as Mr. Jeremy Clarkson would say on a BBC show back in the day, back when it was good BBC show, not with Matt LeBlanc and a bunch of other guys that no one cares about. Notes from training camp. Search things going on. Players, only two players tested positive this past week and with the 800 players being tested, which is always good news. Getting better. The numbers are coming down. Obviously, we've had a lot of players unfit to play. We'll get to that a little bit more often. Brett Riley from Long Island University, the head coach of the first ever team, men's hockey team, for Long Island University. He'll be coming on here around 6.30. We'll be chatting with him about his kind of his path to LIU and then how it's gone from trying to recruit a brand new team with this pandemic. 
Also, we'll talk about all the NHL awards nominees, minus the Hart Trophy, which has not been quite announced yet, but then it's pretty much the Ted Lindsay Award, except voted on by the Pro Riders Hockey Association. So, I mean, it's pretty much the same guys. We'll get to those guys later on as well. And Access Hockey MI's Rachel Anderson will join us around 7.30, talk about the Red Wings prospects and the United States Hockey League Junior A Hockey Muskegon Lumberjacks. We had both Rachel and Janae on on the Kuehl podcast a few months ago, and we had a great chat with them. So we're going to have them on, and that may be a longer interview, but it'll be a fun one indeed. But we're going to start off today's show with probably the most 2020 thing to happen. Rogers Place. Flood. Now, dialect in on both sides of the border, Canada and the United States, are different. Some people, when they say Zamboni, they are going to Zamboni the ice. They're going to clean the ice. They're going to cut the ice. Some people even say they will flood the ice. Well, Mother Nature said, let's flood the ice, or at least try to, because she dang near came close at Rogers Place this past weekend. Let me tell you, if you've seen the footage, look it up. Rogers Place gets flooded in a portion of the arena, only in one portion where the roof malfunctioned, thanks to hail as well. Hail, rain, big storm coming across, and obviously a big storm going across western Ontario and Bruce County there, going through Waterloo and Kitchener. Hopefully everyone's okay up there. Let me tell you, when I first saw the footage of from the escalator, I forgot who posted on Twitter, but when you see the, the water just flowing through the rink, let me tell you, I have never in my life said, well, that's it. It's over. You ain't going to play in Edmonton. What are they going to... I mean, there's no other... What are they going to do? Move them all to Red Deer? That ain't going to happen. So, but thankfully, everything seems kind of calm. Everything seems at peace. Everything's okay. Possibly. Maybe. I'm not sure. But the, the Oilers Entertainment Group, and by the way, yes, Rando, Roger is a place. Roger's place. Of course, Roger's owns 95% of Canada, and Bell owns this little TSN thing, which is which is, has massive criticism being known as the Toronto Sports Network. So I guess if you know that. And no, it's not. It's Roger with a... There's no D in Roger, Rando. Gosh. By the way, shout out to the Rando, which is coming up after this. Talking Miners with the Rando at uh, 8.30 here on 12 Ounce Sports. Roger's Place Twitter immediately, almost immediately, came out with a statement to kind of more or less calm everybody. To have calm waters if you want to put in a massive pun there. They came out and said, quote, after a thorough assessment of hashtag Rogers Place and associated facilities, it has been determined the damage experienced last night was due to significant water flow mixed with hail. Duh. Which led to excess pressure on the facility's storm drainage, causing two pipe couplings to fail, which is why it exploded, and away comes water and chunks of hail into Rogers Place. Yeah, that's not a good sign. And I mean, when you see that, and thankfully it was only in containing one part of the arena. And if you've been to Rogers Place before, it's one of those new arenas where it's literally a village with an ice rink in it. That's literally how it is. If you've been to Little Caesars Arena as well, it's kind of the same way. There's a rink, but there's all this other stuff you can do around the arena as well. That's all connected. So that's what Rogers Place is. But Rogers Place takes up like half of Edmonton. I'm kidding. It really, it's a joke. Edmonton fans, calm down. I'm joking. I know Edmonton's a much bigger city than that. Oilers Entertainment Group also came out with a statement later on. 
saying, quote, at this time, we are confident that it will not hamper our planning and preparation, and we will be ready to host the return of NHL hockey as a hub city, end quote. Now, at first glance, it's like, will this affect return to play? And I guess the way, I mean, the way everyone's, I guess, not really reacting anymore, it means that it's okay. By that, I mean, they're cleaning up. They're able to fix everything quickly. I'm sure everyone in the city is like, we need to fix this now. Because, I mean, just, you have to. You've already been picked as the hub city. And I remember who, was it Sid Sixero? Listen, guys, I always mention him here on the show, but you got to follow him. Sid Sixero on Twitter, co-host of Tim and Sid, weeknights on Sportsnet. Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Radio now. Let me tell you, he is a fun Twitter follow because he'll have real, you know, he'll have, you know, straightforward to the point tweets, and then he'll have just funny ones. And the one I think he posted was, I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, clearly someone out there does not want Edmonton to be a hub city and or hockey returning at all. Which, I mean, like, well, if you're going to try to flood an arena with water, well, that would be the way to do so. So, but it looks like everything's going to be okay. I'm just saying was, that right there was a sign that there's a good chance that possibly that we were not going to have hockey in Edmonton. And you can't, it's not like you can just all of a sudden, all right, we're just going to flip it. Vegas. You can't just do that on a whim. This was a well thought out process by the league to have the hub in the Western conference in Edmonton, which is why. Moving around, which it's just not good. I would get into the Toronto. I was about to say, speaking of moving around, the Toronto Blue Jays. No, I'm not a baseball show. I can get into that whole thing. But, okay, I'll give a quick take here. Because I know everyone's like, oh, why can't the Blue Jays play baseball, but yet NHL's having hockey in Toronto? Quick take here. This is my take, mine alone. I'm not being paid by anybody. Not being paid by second string. My bookie, 12-ounce sports. This is my take. TJK's take. Me. Here's the reason why the Canadian government said no. When all these teams travel up into Canada, where, yes, the coronavirus rate, the the actual cases rate has gone down, it's much lower than the United States. Why is that more... Why is the players, this like, like we said, having 12 teams go into one city, why is that different than having Major League Baseball? Here's the thing. You move all these teams into one city and locked down. We talked about all of the problems and all of what would happen if players decided to leave the bubble, leave the hub or whatever, if something were to happen, and all the penalties involved. The league is putting that group of people in the hotels and the rinks on lockdown. Nobody's allowed to leave. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets out. That's why it's okay. Major League Baseball. Now, yes, I understand. Everything's going to be regional. Toronto's going to play Detroit. They're going to play Pittsburgh. They're going to play all the teams on the Central Division. Here's the difference. The difference being is that these teams, I may have been wrong this year, they don't play the Tigers. They play Boston and the Yankees. Sorry, AL East. My apologies, folks. Even though it sounds like the Pirates may be an actual second home for the Jays. We'll see about that. The reason why is with baseball is that they travel in and out of the city. It's not going to be they stay there for the next three months. That's why the big difference is. Because... The players in the NHL, you can you know where if they are sick, you can contain them, quarantine them, keep them there. If a player were to get sick in Toronto, playing baseball, gets moved back down into the States, spreads it down there, 
or they even get it in the States and bring it back up before they can actually test it and something were to happen, all of a sudden there's a big issue with that. And don't forget too, there is still, the, there is still, I, I'll be at loose quarantine laws with people moving in, you know, going into Canada. But that said, these players still could have it and they could bring it in. The idea is that Major League Baseball and the Canadian government don't want to continue to spread, have people come into Canada that may or may not have it. That's the thing. You can lock them down in Toronto with hockey, with baseball, the way their schedule is going to work. You're going to have people going in across the border. You may as well open up the whole thing and just, just let it go and just see what happens. Guess what? Probably not going to be the best thing. That's why, folks, Major League Baseball is not going to be played north of the border this coming season. Now, don't forget, Tampa Bay was supposed to play in Montreal half of this year. Now, that's not going to happen, obviously, because, well, first of all, why would Tampa Bay want, why would Montreal fans want to watch Tampa Bay 60 ga- or 30 games, how many ever home games they would have? Secondly, they can't, because Florida's just cesspool of coronavirus right now. Why would you want to have him come all the way up to Montreal, which I believe at one point was one of the higher areas for the coronavirus? Obviously, it's gone down since then because some have and most whatnot, but that's just my take on the whole not having baseball in Canada. So is everyone understanding on that? I'm glad everyone agrees with me because everyone knows, well, not everyone knows. I was about to say, everyone knows I'm right. That's not true at all. I just like to think that's the reason behind the Canadian government. That's my, that's just my take, my perspective on it. But with that, we still have training camp to talk about. Not everyone's going to Toronto yet. That's going to be next week. Actually, in a few days, excuse me. We're going to be moving into Toronto, moving into Edmonton. Wear your wet boots if you're going out west. It's a flood joke. Okay, I can have a couple of jokes about flooding just for a moment, all right? Because, you know, I'm sure it's just a little damp there now. I'm pretty sure it's not that bad. All jokes aside, one of the things I have noticed, just maybe it's because we've been missing out on hockey for so long, panic and just quick answers and quick reactions to every little thing that's gone on in these training camps becomes glorified. Thank me. Of course, hockey Twitter is just a wonderful, positive environment, but everyone getting crazy about the little things. I remember I was going to get a little bit more into Johnny Gaudreau with the Calgary Flames, but it's not, not as bad because everyone said there was the rumor coming out that Gaudreau was out of shape. Gaudreau wasn't hundred percent. He wasn't game ready when he came back. He wasn't working out during the pause. And whether or not that was true or not, we don't know. Brad Living came out, and pretty mad Brad Living, by the way, came out and said, he's healthy, he's in shape, he's ready to go. But then everyone's like, well, Brad, then why do you have him on the second group, not with his usual line mates, with the top group? Because, I mean, there was a pretty big separation between the two, apparently, when everything first started out, when skating back in Calgary returned. But... Little things like that. People lost their minds. Like, oh my gosh, Johnny Gaudreau is going to, you know, he's out of shape. He's not going to play well. He's going to stink in the playoffs. Listen, Johnny Gaudreau can be in 100% shape. He can be fat. No matter what, he's not going to show up in the playoffs, guys. He's Kent Nielsen. Kent Nielsen of the new generation. If you don't know who Kent Nielsen is, first of all, obviously you're not a Flames fan. And all you Flames fans, I'm sorry, he's Kent Nielsen. He's great in the regular season. Come the playoffs, he disappears. He goes away. I mean, when he's about five foot nine, five foot eight. I mean, of course, you easily can hide in the playoffs like that. I'm just making total friends today in Alberta. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is not an Alberta-friendly show. I should have said that off the top of the podcast, or top of the show today, here on the Kiel Show here on Twelve Ounce Sports. But another one, of course, and this just comes from a Toronto thing. And I remember it's funny because when I talked to my dad last night when we were having dinner together, 
Eli came out and said, you're talking about too much Leaf stuff. Well, Dad, for your pleasure, here comes some Leafs talk. Frederick Anderson getting lit up in a scrimmage the other day. And by the way, Frederick Anderson going up against Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, Ilya Mikheyev, who is 100% healthy. Oh, Lord. I mean, everyone's freaking out. Oh, he got scored. He got lit up for five goals in a scrimmage against the best players on the Leafs. Oh, no. I'm sorry that the best players on your team score on your number one goaltender. You would hope that your best players can score on a number one goaltender in the NHL. My goodness. I'm not worried about it. I'm only worried about it is if they go into game one against Columbus and here comes Nick Foligno down the left wing side and just a little flutter shot, just a little knuckler and it goes in. Well, then I panic. And everyone's all coming out saying, well, let's hope this is October, Freddy, so we can get November, Freddy, for the playoffs and we can ride November, Freddy, all the way to the finals, all the way to the cup. Well, listen, if that happens, awesome. If it doesn't, it's hockey. I get it. We support the Leafs here on this show, but crazy things have happened. This is not a usual time. We may have October Freddy for the Leafs. He may let in four goals a game against Columbus, but as long as you have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner getting hat tricks every game, they'll be fine. If the offense is clicking, I'm pretty sure that's all fine. Of course, Coach Sheldon Keefe decides, hey, let's, uh, let's have a little fun here for the media. We're going to put Mitch Marner on one wing, John Tavares on the other, Austin Matthews down the middle. Yikes. How about TMT? How about MTM? I know it's not exactly N or whatever, but hey, that line could explode. That could be one heck of a threat if it actually works out. I mean, listen, sometimes you put superstars together and it works, but then again, teams can all of a sudden just bulk up their defense against one line and it's all to the depth players. And of course, in, in the playoffs, you want your depth talent to be there. So, I mean, I mean, I guess that's a good thing, right? If you have your depth player scoring, guys like Mikheyev, guys like, you know, I don't know if Trevor Moore, what's his status right now, Kasperi Kapanen. If you have those guys going, you'll be fine. But it would be interesting to see what the Leafs do. And, of course, one of the big news staying in the Eastern Conference and staying particularly in the Atlantic Division, Montreal Canadiens. They get a little bit of a boost here with Max Domi joining the Habs for main camp. Now, it was a big deal because he initially did not say whether or not he was going to join the team. He was going to give it 7 to 10 days. And that was said before last week's show. Pardon me. I feel a little parched already here. Yes, it's a Leafs mug. If you haven't noticed it yet on the show in the first few weeks we've been on live, I am sorry. Yes, I have a Leafs Tervis mug. This is probably my third one. Because I know I got one when I was a lot younger. I broke it the morning of Game 7 in 2013. And then the wife got me one and broke that one, so I got this one. So this is my third one. Hopefully don't break it on a Game 7. That would just be bad news brown. But anyways, Max Domi, Montreal Canadiens. Having him come back is huge because now you have, like, I don't want to say a pest. But here was the difference between Max and Ty Domi. Max and Ty have that mean streak in them. You know that you know that little guy, but they're just gonna willing to get under your skin and give you shots every so often. But Max can play. I'm not saying he's full scale Brad Marchand, but boy, if that series ever happened, those two would be at each other's throats, and literally because they're they're you know they're about the same height, right? They're both you know five nine, five ten, whatever. It'd be enter- entertaining 
you know, entertaining to watch. But it's important to have him come back in the lineup because now you have a guy who is getting up in that stage of his career where he's getting towards veteran status. And especially on a Montreal Canadiens team that hasn't, let's be honest, guys, yes, they won the division in 2017, but the last three seasons have been mediocre at best. And of course, yes, you have Carey Price in goal. He'll be there. If he can stamp up, yes, of course, they have a great chance against Pittsburgh. But now you have a threat up front on top of guys like Jonathan Duran and other guys that are going to really, I mean, Kakinemi, guys that are really going to have to step up here for Montreal. And adding Max Domi just adds a little bit more depth and maybe a little bit more, a little bit more salt to the Montreal lineup. I wish I can just come out and say, Max Domi is going to be the savior of the team. They're going to sweep Pittsburgh. They're going to win three straight, move on to the first round, next round, and take on Boston or whatever. Now, if you think that Montreal and Boston would be a bad series right now, like I said, Marshan in one corner, Dome in the other corner, Vezna Trophy candidate, Tuka Rask in one corner. We'll talk about him later. Carey Price in the other. You're going to have a massive Royal Rumble. It's going to be like war games, WCW war games all over again. We're wrestling, wrestling talk, guys. Sorry. Did I scare you one with the wrestling talk? Sorry, I am a mixture of coffee and three hours of sleep right now. It's all just kind of whirled up in this big ball of, I don't know what's going to happen. But but just having Max Domi back in the lineup, just having him there is big for this team. Because now he brings just a little bit more, brings some talent, brings some toughness. A little bit, like I said, under your skin. You're willing to do a little jab with the stick there. Oh, maybe not. Hopefully not this. Maybe just like a little tap with the hands or whatever. Because you do this, you go out the game. But he adds that to the lineup. And in a playoff series, whether it be a best of five, when the teams are just coming back, or a seven-game series, you need that. Especially if you want to move on. In Montreal, yes, they are at the bottom of the barrel of the Eastern Conference right now. They are going against the best team in the play-in series, Pittsburgh, who is the five seed. No chance, right? You get a hot goaltender. You get one of your star players to step up. You have a good chance to win this thing. You never know what's going to happen, guys. Montreal-Chicago series. You have 1960 or 1971 all over again. 1971. That was Tony Esposito versus, you know, against Kenny Dryden, rookie Kenny Dryden. Great series to watch. Man, Kenny Dryden hit. I have my takes on Kenny Dryden White. The Mike Richter Award for NCAA Hockey should actually be called the Kenny Dryden Award, but that's for another show. We'll get into some college hockey talk here in just a few minutes with Brett Riley. Last little bit of news here coming out of camp. Brendan Lemieux of the New York Rangers finally suspended by the National Hockey League, the Department of Player Safety. You know that lovely department that is they do such a good job all the time if you ever listened to our, when we were doing our podcast, the Kiel podcast, you know that the Department of Player Safety and I, we are oil and water. We don't see eye to eye. We don't agree on anything. And half the time, I'm right, they're wrong. At least that's what I like to think. I am curious to know, I'm not saying that that's the last reason. I'm not saying that's the last reason why I think the Department of Player Safety makes bad decisions, but this one here for Lemieux you know, Lemieux's not a, he doesn't have a history of being a dirty player. So that's why this hit that he put on Jonas Donskoy back on March 11th, two games is fine. Because I know what everyone says and everyone thinks it's dumb, but yes, playoff games hold more value. So Lemieux getting suspended two games in the series that they have coming up here, it's a big deal going up against the Hurricanes. 
it's a huge deal because I don't, you know, who knows if Lemieux can be a big factor in that series, but that's just a depth piece the Rangers are losing heading into that series against Carolina. And if you, if he's not there to make an impact, he comes back and all of a sudden the Rangers are down and they have possibly faced an elimination. Now, yes, when we talked to Luke DeCock, we made it very clear the Rangers, if they start Henrik Lundqvist, could easily win both those games with just King Henrik in that. But it's all remain to be foreseen. It's one of those series. You lose one game and all of a sudden you're panicking because you realize you're two losses away from going home. And that's why just losing a guy like that for a couple of games, especially to start the playoffs, is tough. And I know, yes, there is exhibition games. There are games where, you know, they can obviously have one game to really prepare for the playoffs. So Lemieux is not going to go in without having a game. That said, well, actually, I don't know what that, I don't know if, as far as I know what I've been reading, it seems like he can play in the preseason game, just not in the playoffs. So he'll have at least one, I guess, a little bit of game, game ice underneath his belt, which will be obviously important when he does come back into the lineup for game three. But regardless, I'm curious to know how that's going to affect him affect the Rangers and obviously Don Scoy has been able to come back and you know have a little bit of time to relax because he got it was a blindside hit if you guys want to look it up it's I found it on Sportsnet after the ruling was found it's a blindside hit right in front of the goal unsuspecting player when that hit happened the league came out and said we're going to suspend him if we come back or when we come back whether it had been the playoffs whether it be the 2021 season they were going to suspend him no matter what so it's a good thing they held their word on. I'm glad Peros, Peros probably left a sticky note somewhere at his desk, and when he came back to the office, he's like, oh, I got to spend Lemieux. It's probably one of the few things that Peros has remembered to do. I don't know if, you know, if what he's been doing. and Hopefully he's been trying to figure out how to be a better head of a department player safety, but I digress. I'm sure something will happen in these playoffs. Tom Wilson will try to take another guy's head off, and I'm going to have another 45-minute schmeal on why that hit was bad and why the department player safety is a joke because Wilson would only get one game for some reason and all that stuff. And it's just a bunch of stuff that, you know, don't quite need to really go full tilt on yet. We obviously have a lot of time before that happens. But folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Brett Riley on, Long Island University head coach. We're really excited to have him come on, talk about as he prepares for the first season of Long Island University Hockey. We'll be back here on 12 Ounce Sports, the Kula Show, right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Kula riding solo here tonight. But not alone entirely, though. I'm welcoming now my first guest here on tonight's program. He is the first ever head coach for the brand new men's ice hockey program here at the Long Island University. He is former Colgate assistant coach and former head coach of Wilkes University of Division Three. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Brett Riley. Brett, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me on here, Tyler. Brett, I, I, you know, the first question I like to ask my guests, just because it's been such a crazy time for everybody, how are you doing through all this pandemic? I'm doing great, uh, controlling what I can during difficult times. And, um, you know, hopefully the building of our program and our college hockey team, um, you know, is something to be excited about during um, some uneasy and some crazy times here. And of, and this all started, of course, just a few months ago, or just a couple months ago now. It seems like it's been so long because... 
Now it seems like the year is starting to drag on, but Long Island University announced out of the blue, no pun intended, because one of their colors is light blue, but they announced that they're going to have a men's division one team in the right in the middle of the pandemic. And before you were ever hired, when you just heard the news yourself as still at the time, the assistant coach over in Colgate, what was your reaction knowing that they were going to be a division one program? Um, I was certainly intrigued and excited. It's great for the game, um, to add division one or division three programs. Um, you know, and I think no better place than in the metropolitan area, New York city, long Island, that area is craving more college hockey and hockey in general. Um, so it was certainly something that intrigued me and, and excited me, um, you know, whether I'd be a part of it or not, uh, time would play out, but I'm certainly very fortunate and excited, um, to have this tremendous opportunity. And so, I mean, I guess what exactly, I mean, obviously you work with Colgate last year, you work alongside Don Vaughn and what process did you have to go through in order to get the job? Because I knew there were a lot of coaches that were asked by the team by, or by the university to come on board. A lot of people declined, but you said yes, Brett, what made you decide that you wanted to be the head coach of the Sharks? Um, in a word, I think opportunity. Um, it, it's a unique opportunity and some people may have been scared off to jump right in and build something during a pandemic and in a short period of time. Um, but I believe in being in the business of finding solutions um, and working through adversity um, to be a division one head coach is a dream come true. And like I said, no better place than in the New York city area. Um, so for me, it was something, um, you know, looking at it and what we could build. Uh, I couldn't say no to when the opportunity presented itself. And Coaching itself, especially head coaching, is in your blood. Your dad coached at West Point, or coaches at West Point. Your grandfather coached at West Point many years ago. And, of course, your grandfather, Jack, was the head coach of the 1960 Olympic-winning U.S. hockey team. So I guess how has their careers, if you will, impacted you becoming a coach, and how has it kind of helped kind of mold you into becoming a coach here at the collegiate level? For sure. So the, the lineage goes, my grandpa Jack was the head coach at Army for a long period of time. Um, he passed the torch on uh, to my dad, Rob, who was there for 20 years, is now with the Sabres as a scout. And um, now my uncle Brian is the head coach there. So for me, it was kind of natural. I didn't really have a choice. I didn't know what I was walking into when I stepped into the Holiday Center at West Point at a young age and followed him to work. Um, and from there it was just kind of contagious, you know, watching the practices as a young age at West Point, um, to go into the rink with him when he was scouting or, uh, as a head coach in the AHL with Springfield. Um, and from that point on, I knew, uh, upon graduation that I wanted to be involved in hockey in any capacity. And of course you played through Hobart college, you played division three, played some high school prep up there in the Northeast. And then you eventually do go behind the bench and you start at Wilkes University, Division Three school, albeit, but starting that program pretty much from scratch, similar to what you're doing now with Long Island University. How did that experience help you kind of start when you started anew here with the Sharks? Uh, you know what, Tyler? I often say if I could go back and do it again, I would learn from my mistakes and here's my opportunity to do it again. And there's there's so much I would change in terms of um, recruiting dynamic and knowing what I know now, but a lot of the recipe is the same and that's get really good kids, um, that are bought in to building a program, you know, not in it for individual or selfish gain or, um, you know, ice time, but they see the vision of leaving something better than they found it, whether they're there for one, two or four years. Um, you know, that's our mission is to get elite people 
obviously they have to be pretty good hockey players too for this level. Um, but if we get really good kids that believe in me and believe in building the program, I think the sky is the limit. And I think we surprised a lot of people in a short period of time at Wilkes um, by working tirelessly on the recruiting trail. And then once our student athletes got to campus, uh, mentoring and molding them day in and day out, um, you know, in a relentless pursuit uh, to build a culture in, in um, you know, all aspects of a college hockey program on the ice, in the classroom and in the community. That's it's such a big part, obviously, recruiting, because, yes, you can always bring in bodies, but it's bringing in the right people to help build the program. And that's what you're trying to do here at Long Island. What have been because you're recruiting, trying to recruit a whole team, a whole program, obviously 20 man roster, but then, you know, hopefully some scratches along the way. How hard has it been to be recruiting these players, whether it be from transfers, right out, right out of junior hockey, high school, whatever? And then getting them to come to come to Long Island during this pandemic with, you know, not really able to have them come on campus or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's actually been in some ways the easy part because there's so many players. The hard part is really, I think, um, you know, the most important part. And that's something I've learned from my dad while scouting with the Sabres. Um, that he learned under Randy Sexton, an awesome hockey mind. And that's the due diligence piece is that we want to do as much homework as we can before offering someone a roster spot. Um, so that's calls to their junior coach, their prep school coach, a billet family, their, uh, you know, um, current teammates, whatever it may be. We want to be in the business of doing our homework extensively and thoroughly um, and not just listening to what one person may have them labeled as. And like I talked about before, making sure that these young men are coming to our school um, for the right reasons because they want to build something and they believe in me and our vision um, of where this program can be in a short period of time. Who, I mean, I, I don't, I'm probably putting you on the spot trying to list some names here, but who have been some of the most exciting guys you picked up, whether it be transfers or whether it be new guys? Who Name us a couple of the players that will be on the Sharks roster that we should be excited about. I, I think there's a lot, um, you know, that, that have signed NLIs and, you know, some that were in the process of uh, finalizing. But I think the way we've recruited this team um, is we want different guys for different roles and um, we want to succeed by committee. So I think it's going to be a different name, a different night. We've got a healthy blend of grad transfers, freshmen um, and transfers. Um, and, I, you know, our goal is not to have that new program mentality, but that's something to prove mentality that when we step into the rink and I'm sure people will take us lightly and that's fine. Um, you know, that after the first period, it's a game. And then after two, uh, the other team is on edge and, you know, then maybe we can flip the script. And that was the same recipe we had at Wilkes, um, you know, that I started with at Albany Academy is that, you know, teams will take us lightly, respect us. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, but we have a chip on our shoulder and a something to prove mentality. And that starts with the coaching staff and um, trickles down to our players. And Long Island University is right in one of the big hotbeds for college hockey. You have Atlantic Hockey, ECAC Hockey East, all within driving distance of LIU there. And coming over from Colgate, you were, you were able to work with their longtime head coach, Don Vaughn. What was it like working him, albeit for you know for a short period of time? What was it like though working with him? What would did what did you learn from Don, and what can you take forward with now being a head coach here at the Division One level? For sure. Well, it was awesome to walk into the office every day um, and be around Coach Vaughn. He's, he's done it so long that he's a natural. Um, you pick up so many little things, I guess, that you don't even realize you do day in and day out. Um, and I always tell people, I think the most impressive thing. Um, you know, is that he's a gentleman of the game and a better person 
um, you know, away from the rink and cares more about the players as people than hockey players. Um, and that's something that I'll try and use as, you know, we bring our staff on board and our players is that, you know, there's more to life than just hockey um, and to treat everyone with respect and to care about our young men, um, you know, as students and athletes second. So I, I learned so much um, in a short period of time from a different vantage point being an assistant. Um, and I'm very appreciative for that opportunity that has now led me to LAU. So now you're with Long Island and right now, obviously everything's up in the air. You don't know. I mean, some people are questioning when's the NCAA going to come back. Obviously the Ivy league has already pulled out fall sports. I I'm not going to ask you, what do you know about when the schedule will start? But as a new head coach with a new team, what would you like to see? When would you like to start the 2020, 2021 season? I think the you know obvious answer is we'd love to start right away, um, but that's outside of our control. There's so many things going on that the safety of our student athletes comes first and foremost, and we'll start at a time you know that's safe for all. Um, and when that time comes, hopefully sooner rather than later, you know we will be ready to go. Um, that's another thing I learned in terms of building a program is control what you can control because there's so many things right now that are out, outside of our control from. Jersey arrival date to locker room construction, you know, that all we can focus on is, you know, our recruiting process, keeping a pulse on the schedule and making sure our players have every opportunity to succeed. So um, in short, we'd love to start right when the guys get on campus, but we will be ready um, whenever that date may come. Has it been decided uh, which rink the Sharks are going to play at? Because I know the women's team played at a couple different rinks, even playing a game at Nassau last year. Do you know where is, I guess, the men's team going to play or has that not been decided yet? It's, it's close to being decided. It is decided. Um, agreement is just kind of going through here. And I think our um, fans and our recruits are in for an exciting treat when the release comes out. Um, you know, we're very excited to uh, unveil our recruiting class, um, our rink, our staff, and um, a lot will come out in a short period of time that will hopefully leave, you know, our fans and the hockey community excited. Yeah, it's definitely exciting to have a team in Long Island, it's a college team, in, I guess, in and around the metro New York area, if you will. Brett, the last question I'm going to have you here, brand new team, like you said, you want to be a team that's going to work hard, not a new program mentality, but a competitive program mentality. What are your expectations? I don't want to say win-loss record because that's unfortunately just not fair because we don't know exactly what the season's going to look like. But what do you expect out of your team come game one, whenever that may be, and then through the rest of the first season for LIU hockey? Um, I think three things. The first is just to be competitive, to be in hockey games. Um, and and kind of leading into my next point too, is to surprise people, uh, after 60, 65 minutes for teams to come back and respect us, um, for what we are. And I think that, you know, if we do those first two things, it, it will lead us to, you know, point three, which is to leave uh, really good momentum going into year two. Um, you know, and we are focused on the build. We would love to snap our finger and have instant success. Um, we know it's a process, but by the same token, we plan on surprising people day one. We plan on being in hockey games. Um, and with that approach, we're not going to take a backseat to anyone. Sure, there'll be learning curves and bumps in the road. Um, but if we focus on the process and don't settle or don't come in as the new kids on the block, I, I think we can do great things with this program, with the character of the recruits we have coming in for next year. 
That's always what my trainer used to say. Hashtag believe in the process. Shout out Charlie Hoffbauer. I lied to you, Brett. This is actually my last question for you. Is there a school that you would really like to play in this first season, or is there, or is it just kind of whoever's willing to take on LIU this year? Uh, that's a loaded question. I think you know we're appreciative of all the people that have stepped up to play us. Obviously, there's you know wrinkles in scheduling every single day. Um, and, you know, in the spirit of growing the game for our sake, we'd love to play anyone. Um, you know, I, I think there are, you know, some ties obviously to West Point being a family affair. I think it would be cool just to go back to a place like West Point where I have so much respect, um, for the program and what our family has done. Um, but as we try and grow as a program, I think we want to play anyone and everyone. Um, you know, especially the people that may doubt us, um, you know, hopefully we can give them a competitive hockey game. It'd always be exciting. Always, always good to have new programs. Of course, with St. Thomas announcing last week, they're going to be D1 as well. So good to see the college game growing, especially in the New York area. We've been chatting with the first head coach of the brand new Long Island University men's hockey program, Brett Riley. Brett, appreciate taking time out of your day and best of luck in your recruiting schedule. And hopefully we see you guys on the ice soon. Thanks so much, Tyler. Really appreciate you having me on here. All right, Brett. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. And that was Brett Riley. A huge shout out to him. You can follow Brett on Twitter if you want, at Brett Riley, number 27. Follow him on Twitter. And, of course, follow the Long Island University men's hockey team at LIUM Hockey. Also follow their women's team as well. We talked about them a couple months ago on the podcast. And they their women's team, despite having a sub-500 record, had a really good conference record last year. Actually won the conference championship. They were not able to obviously go any further because, well, coronavirus. It's a bad thing. And I and I will say this. I If you listen to our old episodes, I will be 100% honest with you guys. I did kind of razz on Long Island University just because the, when they came out, like, is this going to work? Is it the right time? What's the money looking like? All that stuff. And but this team and the school itself has really pushed forward and said, we're going to be a competitive hockey team. We're going to have a schedule. It may not be the biggest schedule in college hockey, but it'll be a schedule against, obviously, competitive teams. When you're playing in the Northeast and you're going to be only able to travel so far, so you'll be playing teams from Atlantic hockey, teams from East, excuse me, ECAC Hockey East. I'm really excited to see how that program is going to do. I really think that they may, you know what? Like I said with the Habs, I talked about Montreal before the break. You put the right guys in there, right places, they can turn some head against Pittsburgh. LIU takes on Boston College. They play a tough game. They're able to shut down their top guys, and bang, they're in a hockey game. They're in a competitive hockey game. I mean, obviously, you know, know, hindsight's 20-20, but that's the mindset you could see with Brett Riley here. And I'm, once again, really, really glad we were able to get him on. And I remember I I said to myself, like, man, it'd be cool to, to just get his point of view on everything. And you could see how positive he is because... A lot of coaches that get put in that situation of, hey, you have to build a team in four months. That in itself is really tough. And I remember I wrote about it in the Hockey Writers piece a few months ago. And I said, I'm like, man, it's going to be tough for whoever takes the job. And Brett, he is going at it full force. And you can see why he really wants to make sure that this program is built from the top and all the way to the top to become one of the, one of the new kids on the block, but not like a kid on the block. Is kind of what he went on. New Kids on the Block, I'm pretty sure. I think Brett's old enough to remember New Kids on the Block. I should have asked him about that. Then again, I'm pretty sure he would have been weirded out by the question. Folks, we're going to take another quick break. But when we come back, we will be talking more hockey. We're going to be talking a little bit about the NHL award nominees. 
here on The Cule Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back here on 12 Ounce Sports, you're going to hear my piece on who should be an award winner and who shouldn't even be considered for one. I'm sure this is only going to go really well. This could be really, really bad for everybody. Welcome back, everyone, here to the Cule Show on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or catching it on 12OunceSportsRadio.com, or even the replay live, or not live, but on the Cule Show YouTube channel. I'm Tyler Cule here. Yes, riding solo for this show. It's okay, though. Alex, he's doing schoolwork. He's a yeah, summer school, guys. It Listen, everyone talks about how important summer school is, taking summer classes in college and get an accelerated degree. Let me tell you. It ain't any easier because here's the problem, guys. People have to remember this. You have to actually do schoolwork while everyone's having fun in the summertime. You know how hard that is? There's a reason why I never did it. I was busy, you know, just laying out on the deck and doing nothing else. Yeah, that's pretty much all I did during the summer when I was in college. So I'll be it for my, my two years of glory, if you will. But we got a lot more to talk about here on the Kula Show, airing Monday nights live here on 12 Ounce Sports. And once again, thank you to our sponsors, mybookie.com, second string leather up there. Get your wallets, get your belts, all the cool stuff you can get. You can also win money here on mybookie.com. Heck, here we go. Ready for some combination advertising, folks? Ready for this? Go on mybookie.com. Bet on games. Win big. Take that money. Second string leather. Get yourself an awesome wallet with that money. Thank you very much. I'm going into advertising, guys. I can do this. We're going to take this all the way to the bank because we're going to make a lot of money at mybookie.com. Wink, wink. I, listen, like I said, coffee and three hours of sleep. It's a combination that's just meant for chaos. But speaking of, I don't say chaos, not really chaos, but NHL award nominees, 99% of them have been announced. Only the couple that have not been announced have been the Hart Trophy. Actually, I believe that's the only big individual award that has not been announced. Obviously, the Art Ross Trophy goes to the player with the most points, which was going to Leon Dreisaitl, at least in the regular season. But there are some other individual awards we can talk about. The first one, going to the best coach in the NHL in the nineteen twenty season. I say nineteen twenty, but I realize I should say 2019-20 because when I say nineteen twenty, everyone's like, 1920, back in the olden days when there was, actually, the New York Americans weren't even a team in 1920. I believe there was the Blue Shirts. And no, there were the St. Pats. The Toronto St. Pats, Montreal Canadiens. I believe the Wanderers, the Montreal Wanderers were even a team. The Hamilton Tigers, I believe, were still a team. Uh, listen, I'm going way back here, guys. I know. You're thinking, Hamilton Tigers? Don't you mean the Hamilton Cats? I don't know why I took on the Bill Schwarzky Chicago accent there, but the Tiger Cats of the CFL, there used to be a team called the Hamilton Tigers, both the hockey team and the football team. It's like the New York football giants and the New York baseball giants. They, they existed at the exact same time, played in the... Actually, they played at the Polo Grounds. They played at... No, they played at the Polo Grounds as well. They played in the same stadium, and they're both called the New York Giants. And they had different colors. That's the confusing part in all this. I'm sorry, I'm getting way off track here. NHL Awards. Jack Adams for the best coach in the NHL this season. The three candidates are as follows. Bruce Cassidy of the Boston Bruins, the president's trophy winning. Boston Bruins with a slight asterisk, obviously, because, well, they did not complete the 82-game season. However, despite 
not completing an 82 game season, this team was phenomenal this year. They're the only team with an above 700 winning percentage, the only team to reach 100 points, going 44, 14, and 12. Bruce Cassidy, I mean, we talked about it with Joseph Zeta last week here on the Kula Show how Bruce Cassidy outcoached Babcock the last two playoff series between Toronto and Boston. Bruce Cassidy has done a magnificent job, and I, I just remember how good of a coach he was back in the IHL in the early 2000s. And his first gig in the NHL was with the Washington Capitals. This was the pre-Ovechkin Capitals. This was Oli the goalie, who was starting to get old. Gonchar wasn't even there anymore, Sergey Gonchar. They had Yarmer Yager, which was pretty much the entire team's the, all of their money was given to Yarmer Yager. They decided they forgot they actually had to put players around him to actually make them good. And of course he did bad because that team was awful. It was Yager, Kolzig, and nothing. I believe Phil Housley had retired at that point too, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless, he didn't have necessarily a good opportunity. Now he does. He has obviously has that top line of Bergeron, Marshan, Pasternak, He's been able to turn players like Jake DeBrusque into big-time guys. He's been able to still use Chara as a quality defenseman despite not being able to look like he's able to walk half the time. He's been able to use Tori Krug, and obviously he's got to worry about that in the summertime, but or not the summertime. This is the summertime. Off-season, whenever they, in October, the fall. We're going to say the fall is an off-season. What are we, baseball? Yes, baseball's coming back too, guys. But he's done a great job. And I get it. Like, remember last year when John Cooper was a nominee and they're like, oh my gosh, of course, Cooper, 62 wins. Well, yes, because you get a team to compete hard for sit for to get 62 wins in a regular season. You're doing something right now. Yes, I, I he just I must have forgotten what he was. Either it was the players, Cooper, whatever, the lightning playoffs, they ignore it. And that's the one thing about all these awards you have to realize. These awards are not based on regular season and playoff success. They're just playoffs, or just regular season, excuse me, just regular season statistics, performance, and whatnot. Because if that had been the case, Calder Trophy last year would have easily have gone to Jordan Bennington. Just saying. Just saying. Because, well, he was a rookie, and he was the best at the end because he had the cup over his head. So I'd say he had a pretty good season. The other two coaches, one of them, John Tortorella the of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, you know, this one's an interesting one because the Jack Adams Award has been synonymous with, oh, a coach that has won the award and pretty much because he had a, a team that should not have been doing well, but they're doing well, which, albeit, is true. There's only been a select few coaches to ever won multiple Jack Adams Awards. Jacques Demers, he won it with Detroit, and he won it with Detroit in back-to-back years. The only coach to ever do that. Pat Quinn and Pat Burns both did it. Pat Quinn did it twice, and he did it once with the, as I'm looking at the numbers right now, he did it, oh gosh, why are these numbers so far off? I can't read fast enough. Pat Quinn did it with the Philadelphia Flyers in their, that historic run they had with the, of the unbeaten streak in the 79-80 season where they ended up going on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Pat Burns did it with the Leafs, with the Canadians, and with the Boston Bruins. He's the only man to win it three times, Pat Burns. The others, Scotty Bowman won it twice. Scotty Bowman won it in the 96 season, the 62-win year for the Red Wings. He won it with the Wings. 
and then he won it all the way back. Was only the fourth coach to ever win the award back with Montreal in the 77 season, 76-77 season, where the Canadians just dust mopped the entire league, just whooped them, smoked them. The other two coaches to win it twice, Barry Trotz, of course, winning it last year, winning it both with the Islanders and the Capitals, and John Tortorella. Tortorella winning it in the 0-4-0 season, the year the Lightning won the Cup, and three years ago in his first full season with the Blue Jackets, 16-17 season. Now, here's the kicker. Only Jacques Demers has been the only other coach to win the award twice with the same team. Like I said, back-to-back years, 87 season and 88 season, Demers won it with Detroit. Now, what does this mean for Tortorella? He could make history here. Be only the second coach to ever win it twice with one team. Be only the second coach to ever win it three times. And let's be honest. The case for having him win the award is, well, we'll get to the next guy here in a second, and he's got a good case for it as well. But the fact that that team lost so many players, lost Panarin, lost Bobrovsky, lost Matt Duchesne, Dezingle, take your pick, that team they lost a lot of their talent, a lot of their top-end talent. And I remember, like we said, Cam Atkinson, what's he going to do? He's not going to do it. Okay, he's leading the team in goals, but oh well. Mark, Nick Foligno, great, he's still there. Jonas Corpusel, he's an all-star. Oh, good for him. Oh, he's hurt. Ah, well, they're done now. Elvis Merge Watkins, oh, he's playing well. Okay, he's tied for second in shutouts. How good is this team has been able to fight through adversity and still be one of the best. This team had... The playoffs had the season stopped, and there just been a sixteen playoff, sixteen team playoff, like traditionally. The Jackets still would have made the playoffs. They did, in fact, finish fifth in the Metro. However, let me tell you, or sixth in the Metro, excuse me. But as we know, the monsters of the Metro, they just decide, hey, we're just going to clump together. There's going to be three teams here, and then the rest of us will follow right behind. That team still would have made the playoffs. And that team, the Blue Jackets, would still have made the playoffs this year. 33, 22, and 15 did the Jackets go. Tortorella, no question. Despite everything that that team, all the odds stacked against them, they were still a competitive hockey team and a playoff contender. That right there is why Tortorella is still one of the best coaches in the game. Despite wearing a sweater vest and everything, still one of the best. The third coach to be nominated for the Jack Adams Award, Elaine Vigneault. Elaine Vigneault, if I'm not mistaken, has never won the award as I'm going through. Yep, yep, I knew he had it. I knew he had one with Vancouver. The 06-07 Canucks, Elaine Vigneault won it. So he's looking to become a two-time Jack Adams Award winner. And you know what? Let's be honest, guys. He's done a magnificent job in one season with Philadelphia. I know, yes, from the previous establishment, the players were there, Giroux, Konechny, Voracek, these guys were all there. Carter Hart, yes, came over, but... Carter Hart stepped up and played well. And then you had guys like Voracek playing big numbers. Konechny putting up big numbers. All these guys really stepping up for Philadelphia. They went 41-21-7, finishing second in the Metropolitan Division. And I may be, you know, maybe speaking out of line here, but that team had a chance to win the division. That's how good the Flyers were this season, guys. They finished second. This is the first time they'd finished higher than third in the division since 2011, since they were in the original Atlantic division, back when they used to play Pittsburgh 15 times a year and try to kill each other 14 times of them because the other one was a preseason game. The Flyers are just, it's this team, like, I, you know, I just never have fully liked them. You know, I liked Eric Lindros, the player that he was. Heck, he was an NHL EA Sports cover athlete. 
But I'm like, yeah, you know, I never liked him. And yeah, Bees, John Van Beesbrook, one of my favorite goaltenders growing up. He played for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can never get behind them. And, you know, all of a sudden this year, I'm like, okay, Carter Hart. Okay, we got talent here. There's Claude Giroux still doing well. JVR is still around there. They got Gritty still. How can you not cheer for a guy like Gritty or a thing like Gritty? I, whatever he is, he's definitely the Philly Fanatics, like, cousin, distant cousin or something. But whatever he is, how can you not cheer for that? I'm just saying. The Flyers. I'm not. Now, I don't know. I don't. It's hard to make a pick. I feel like we should make our picks for the awards before the right before the ceremony, whenever that may be. But man, I, I love Bruce Cassidy, but I don't think he's going to win it. It's got to be between Torts and Vigneault. And if Torts can do it, it would make sense, right? It would definitely make sense. The Lady Bing Trophy. Now, I only have a half hour before I bring Rachel Anderson on. So I'm going to try to keep this one short. Calm down, everyone. If you've not been on hockey Twitter this past week, good, because that means you're a sane person and just didn't feel like punching your face and, and then punching the wall after it just so you could feel the pain in both your face and your fist. Everyone decided to lose their mind because Austin Matthews was nominated for the award. It's the dumbest argument in the world. I get it. I get it. There was a case against him down in Arizona. Whatever. Okay, how many individual awards has Patrick Kane won? Is it just because it's the most gentlemanly player the Lady Bing is after? Is that why? And by the way, most gentlemanly, gentlemanly player, if you want to get all techie about it, what happens off the ice, whatever. That's not exactly true, but I mean, like, in terms of this, listen, great player, doesn't have many penalty minutes. That's what it's for. Pavel Datsuk had a lot of points, didn't get many penalties. The one year he didn't win the Lady Bing, he fought Corey Perry. And I'm pretty sure all the Wings fans and many one else, everyone else across the league was still happy about that. The fact that everyone's getting on this because, oh, Austin Matthews is blah, blah, fine. Then don't give him the award. Just, it's the stupidest thing I heard this past weekend. Everyone's like, oh, he shouldn't have been nominated. Dear, dear. Whatever, guys. I, I don't care. I'm sorry. Ryan O'Reilly, Nathan McKinnon, the other two guys, both deserving of the award. It's just the dumbest thing that someone wants to argue over the lady being. I mean... The Lady Bing is literally an honorary award just so, hey, here's the most gentlemanly player. Here you go. Call it a day. Give it to him. Do a quick speech. Thank the fans up on the stage in Las Vegas and go home. Or however they're going to do it this year. I don't know. The Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy. Now, this one always is an intriguing award. Doesn't have to do with numbers. Doesn't have to do with success. It has to do with perseverance and dedication to hockey. And, man, this, this year is tough because last year was just a landslide. Robin Leonard deserved it 100%. Nobody was arguing that. It was a great speech he had. I welled up listening to him, which is why this year is going to really suck because you have three guys that are real, all deserving of this award. The Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, of course, for many that don't know the history, Bill Masterton. A rookie playing with the North Stars died after a collision on the ice where he hit his head on the ice. He was not wearing a helmet. That's why after that, the league mandated that all rookies wear helmets in the NHL back in the late 60s. That's why this is the Memorial Trophy for perseverance and dedication to the game. First one is Stephen Johns. Stephen Johns missed 22 months of hockey. If you don't know what that means, it means a year, almost two years, of action because of post-concussion syndrome and headaches, but has been able to come back. And it's, it's funny because 
I was playing NHL this weekend, playing online games. I was playing, I played like this one kid three times in a row and he was playing at the Dallas Stars and seeing Steven Johns on there. And it's, it's great to see because a guy that's able to persevere through concussion problems, it's, it just shows a modern health and technology that he's able to fight through that and come back and be able to actually be an effective player. And a guy that's on the roster heading into camp. And you almost wonder, like, would, would that have been able to happen to a guy like Mark Savard? But that's obviously hindsight. Ifs and buts were candy and nuts. But the fact that he's able to fight through it and come back in the game, that is amazing. Number two, Oscar Lindblom. This one is also, he's another guy that, it's hard for this to work because it's like, because like I said, usually there's one guy that always gets it. Oscar Lindblom, guys, he just finished seven months of chemotherapy for Ewing sarcoma. The guy went through legitimate hell and back to get back to be a hockey player again. Everyone supported him, and we all deserve to. He deserved every bit of, of support and admiration by, by players, media, fans, because he was going to do it. And it's an award that's just amazing. I'm, of course, everyone, a lot of people remember the famous Mayor Lemieux comeback with Hodgkins in the 92-93 season, coming back into Philadelphia, into the spectrum, and getting a standing ovation by Flyers fans. Which in those days, even I guess today, it just it never happens. The Flyers in Pittsburgh, it's just it's bad. Sticks and just violence, okay? That moment was amazing. And Limblom, as soon as Limblom was diagnosed, Crosby, Penguins, they're all supporting him. That is what this makes this game so amazing, guys, is the support they have for him. He came back to be able to fight through it. The last guy. This one I hate to say it as a, a favorite for this award, but for me, and this is just for me, if you're a Flyers fan, obviously Limblom and maybe Dallas, you're leaning towards Johns or wherever you are, whether you have your pick. But my guy is Bobby Ryan because it's, man, I feel like I'm getting emotional talking about these guys. It's with Robin, and maybe it has to do with Robin Leonard from last year, having to fight through his demons of alcoholism and, and you know, talking about, how he wanted to commit suicide and how he's able to have to fight through that and how he's able to overcome that Robin Leonard, at least Bobby Ryan himself was able to come out and say, Hey, I have a problem. He stopped in the middle of a hockey season to go into rehab guys. That doesn't happen. If you're a multi-million dollar athlete, you don't stop what you're doing. You don't stop your profession to go get help. No one does this guys. Bobby Ryan, and yes, I know he's not the Bobby Ryan from 10 years ago, the Bobby Ryan from 07, whatever. This guy was able to come out and say, hey, I need help. And he gave up what he loved to do to make himself better. That deserves some of the biggest admiration ever. And then he comes back, first game at home, gets a hat trick. And they, I believe they were playing the Canucks that night. And if you watch, obviously Ottawa is has a TSN deal, similar to how Winnipeg has it. So there was a TSN in the Rogers feed. And you listen to the road broadcasters, the Vancouver Canucks gentlemen, and even they were like, okay, this is special. Because Bobby Ryan gets the hat trick, and the crowd at Ottawa, I don't care how big the crowd was, it doesn't matter. All of us were chanting for Bobby when he got the hat trick in that game. 
it was such a great moment to see. And it it's still, I, I watched it, I think like a few weeks ago, just because it came up like feel good moments. Like I like watching that kind of thing. You know, it makes me feel, makes warms your heart, makes you melt on the inside. That right there, just a guy that's being able to overcome his demons, similar to what Leonard did last year, or similar to the, the award that Leonard won last year. And then just because he was able to overcome that in obviously it's, this is not an overnight success with Leonard. It's not an overnight success with Bobby Ryan. Both those guys had to go through hell in order to come back and be healthy again. And that's why I think Bobby Ryan's going to get it, man. It's I'm, uh, that, that one's that one for me, maybe just a little, a little tough just because it's that, that's my guy. I Bobby Ryan's my guy. If Limblom or if Limblom wins it, if Johns wins it, great. I'm happy for those guys, but if Bobby wins it, he, I mean, I feel like he, he doesn't deserve it more. They all deserve it. Heck have all three of them get it. I don't care. It doesn't need to be one guy. Have them all stand together. Have a great picture. I'll applaud whoever wins the thing. Just, I mean, all three of them deserve it, man. Bobby, he went through a lot. All right. Enough of the wishy-wash works. Uh, let's get to the statistical and I guess the, the talent level awards, if you will. The Calder Trophy given to the best rookie in the National Hockey League. Three nominees, two of which are defensemen. I'm trying to think of the last time there was an award given out where two guys were, or two defensemen were involved in it. But the first one, a forward from Chicago, Dominic Kubalik. And Kubalik, it, it's, he's not, I'm sorry, Chicago fans, he's not going to win it. But the fact that he's in the conversation is great within itself. He put up 30 goals, 46 points this year, leads all rookies in goals this season. I mean, he, he's been a big part of the Chicago team. Yes, I know Chicago, they made it in on default to the playoffs or the 12th seed, whatever. They're going to get smoked by Edmonton, blah, blah, blah. Listen, the fact that he's been able to step up as a rookie with a very underperforming, again, I don't say bad Blackhawks team, but this is not the Blackhawks from 2015, guys. This is a Blackhawks team that has talent, but is older. You know, goaltending was a little bit eh, with Leonard and Crawford both being pretty uh, consistent at times this year. Kubalik's been pretty darn consistent, 30 goals, 16 assists. I think, you know, he he's not going to win it, but he definitely deserves to be one of the final three. Now, here, listen, I, there's all the other awards we can debate about. This, for... For some reason, hockey Twitter, like, this is the battle for all of the awards, like the ones that people are really getting into. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr got knocked out, lost, excuse me, lost in the national championship last year to Minnesota Duluth. Two days later, he's playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs and made an impact right away. Now, yes, Colorado got knocked out in the next round to San Jose. We don't need to get into that because I have my... All the controversy. We did that last season. This season, he's been just as good. And here's the kicker. He's been hurt. He's only played 57 games this season. 50 points as a defenseman. 12 goals, 38 assists. And let's be honest. If he's in the lineup for 69 games, 70 games, guess what, guys? He leads. He would probably, exception of goals, probably lead defenseman, rookie defenseman at least, in points. Lead rookies in points. He's been so effective. He's so versatile. He can move the puck. He can rush the puck. He is a rover. 
He plays in the blue line. He starts on the draw in the blue line or at the top of the faceoffs or whatever. He starts back there, and he gets the puck in. Way we go. He just makes the plays. He's able to create so many opportunities. He's exciting to watch. But then he goes up against a guy like Quinn Hughes, Michigan boy, maize and blue. Much better than his brother Jack Hughes in his rookie season. But then again, Jack was playing for New Jersey, and he should never have made the jump, but that's just me talking. I have my reasons. Regardless, Quinn Hughes led all rookies in points and assists, eight goals, 45 assists, 53 points, only three better than Kale McCarr. Played 68 games on a Vancouver Canucks team that, you know, was the division leader out of the playoffs, in the top three, wild card, all over the place. Quinn Hughes was there, though, all the way through with this team this year. Has been able to create a lot of opportunities. Been able, he's a guy that makes a great first pass, can jump in on the rush, can help out offensively, but can be reliable as a defensive player as well. That's big, especially for a new kid on the block. He came in last season, so similar to Kale McCarr, got some NHL game experience leading into this season, but was obviously still considered a rookie. I like Quinn Hughes a lot, but my goodness, I, like I said, if Kale McCarr had played a whole season, Quinn Hughes would just be like Dominic Kubalik. Hey, you're there, but you're not going to win it. It's McCarr's. So it's a little bit more of a conversation point. What I see, I mean, I would pick McCarr just because in the sample size alone, will Quinn Hughes do it? Maybe. Both are deserving of the award, but I'd like to think Kale McCarr may get that one. Like we said, we'll make our final predictions later, even though it's based on regular season numbers, not postseason. So we can't just say, oh, Vancouver made it further. No, that's not that's not how it works, guys. At least that's not how the hawk, pro hockey writers are supposed to work. The Selkie for the defensive forward. And this is, this is, I mean, Ryan O'Reilly won it last year, which was almost an upset because everyone's like, well, Ryan O'Reilly was good, so we should, they won the cup, so let's give it to him. He's in the running for it once again this year. Now, I don't know if he's going to win it again, but he's going up against Patrice Bergeron. Again, and as I'm going to go check out the numbers, I should have listed how many times Patrice Bergeron won it. I pulled up the site for all the awards. I believe Bergeron, how many times? Bergeron's won it four times. The only other player to win it four times was Bob Gainey, who pretty much invented the award. Bob Gainey won it the first four seasons. Now, Bergeron, though, has not won it every year. He was not dominated. He did not dominate like it was like when Pavel Datsuk won it three years in a row. He's won it sporadically. He won back-to-back years in the 13-14 and 14-15 season, but he has an opportunity to win it for a fifth time. I don't know. I mean, he's still a capable, you know, defensive center that can produce. Same with Ryan O'Reilly. Will Riley win it back-to-back years? As I look at the numbers, he would be the first guy since Bergeron to win it back-to-back seasons. I'm trying to do a quick count here. I believe one, two, three, four, five, six. Six players have won it in back-to-back seasons. Bob Gainey, obviously. Guy Carboneau, back in the Mont- with the Montreal Canadiens in the late 90s. Carboneau actually won it three times himself. Sergey Fedorov actually won it twice. Stevie Eisman did it once. But the other guys win it back-to-back years. Yuri Lettinen, 97-98 and 98-99. Rod Brandemore in the Stanley Cup winning 05-06 season for the Kings and the following 06-07 season. Datsuk three years in a row after that. And then Bergeron, like I said, in the 14 and 15 seasons. So, will Ryan O'Reilly join a select group? Or will Bergeron win it for a record fifth time? 
I don't know. There's Sean Couturier in there as well. I should probably mention him. He is the third guy from Philadelphia. Good, uh, good depth player. Is able to play a 200-foot game. It's just hard to pick with the two stars of Bergeron and O'Reilly. This is like a dominant Kubalik scenario. So if Couturier gets it, good for him. If it's Riley or Bergeron, hey, it means you're a complete hockey player, which is, I'm sure, what every coach wants on their roster. The last three awards here, probably should, oh, i got a few more minutes here before we bring Rachel Anderson from Axis Hockey MI on here on this cool show here on this Monday, July the 20th here on 12 Ounce Sports, brought to you by our friends at Second String Leather Company and MyBookie.com. The Vesna. No, but wait, Tyler's a goaltender. He doesn't have this award last. What's going on? Listen, I wrote this up. I'm just going in the order. The Ted Lindsay Award will be the last one because it's the closest thing we have to the MVP right now. Calm down. I'm trying to be a universal friendly person today, except for the first 15 minutes where I just gave Alberta the old heave ho. Regardless, Vesna Trophy for the best goaltender in the NHL. We're going to get the goaltender that should not be in the three. Right now, Andre Vasilevsky, 35 wins. He leads the league. Good for him. That's it. That's, that's all he leads the league. He has a 2.56 goals against average, which is not even in the top 10. A 9.17 save percentage, which is not even close to Anton Hudobin's 9.39. Listen. Guys, remember how I always get the thing with Antti Niemi being a Stanley Cup champion winning goaltender? If I played goal for the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks, I'd be a Stanley Cup champion. If I was behind the 1920 Tampa Bay Lightning defense with Norris Trophy candidate Victor Hedman, we'll get to him in a second, and all of their great defensive partners, I'd probably win 35 games too. Okay, maybe not 35 games, but I'd probably win 30 the numbers in itself, like, save percentage for me is the most vital number for a goaltender. Not goals against average, save percentage. Because you can have a 1.4 goals against average and have, like, an 840 because you never face any shots. If you have a 940 save percentage, that right there is your telltale sign of how good a goaltender can be. Like I said, Anton Hudobin. We talked about it with Matthew DeFranks last week with the Dallas Stars. Him and Bishop, two of the best goaltenders in the league. I don't... It's because he won a lot of games. That's why he's a Vesna candidate. That's what annoys me. But yet a guy like Jake Gallon, who's got a 2.15. Of course not, because he's not a starter. Darcy Kemper, who has a 9.28 save percentage. Pardon me, I was wrong on Hugh Dobin. It's a 9.30 save percentage, not 9.39. I corrected myself. Thank you, NHL.com. I'm actually able to operate the website now, which is great. But... Darcy Kemper, 9-2-8. Elvis Merzlikens, 9 3 Robin Leonard, 9-2-0. Antti Ranta, who has missed 95% of the season, 9-2-1. Tristan Jari, 9-2-1. Connor Hellebuck, we'll get to him, 9-2-2. You have to go way down the list, sitting at a solid six, or excuse me, tied for 15th with Miko Koskinen of the Edmonton Oilers with the 9-1-7 is Andre Vasilevsky. Jacob Markstrom has better numbers in 43 games. Cam Talbot, who's only played 26, has a 9-1-9, as does Yaroslav Holak, who played 31 games. I'm sorry, everybody. Does this make me sound biased against Tampa? Okay, whatever you want to call it. I don't understand how a bad goaltender can win the best goaltender award. Now, sorry, I'm not going to say bad goaltender. How a goaltender with not the best numbers... I would rather, much rather have 
Elvis. I'd rather much, like I said, Jake Allen. He's got better numbers. Elvis Merzlikens. He's got better numbers. Hey, you don't see Jordan Bennington getting in the award. Yet the Blues are one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Favorites to jump into the Stanley Cup final again. I, I'm just saying. this it's, it's dumb. Now, the other two goaltenders, much more deserving. Connor Hellebuck, 31-21-5. Two five seven goals against average. Yikes. But 9-2-2 save percentage in the top 10 in that category. Leads the league in shutouts with six. Now, that is a statistic. A statistic, words, Tyler, that I can get behind. And a 9-2-2 save percentage, like I said, guys, right now currently seventh in the league, right behind Pavel Francouz, who has still just had a mind-boggling great season with the injuries going to Philip Grubauer in Colorado. But Hellebuck, I, you know, we talked about him with, with Ken Weeb a few weeks ago. Ken Weeb now sports them, by the way. Good on you, Ken. Way to get another job there. Way to keep working as... As Quest, you can see there, keeper moving. He's keeping her moving as Connor Hellebuck with one of the still one of the best goaltenders with a depleted defense as well. This is not the defense of 2018 that the Jets have. This is a younger defense, a little bit more inexperienced. Like I said, Josh Morrissey's their veteran defenseman. That's their top guy. And Connor Hellebuck's been able to be one of the best goaltenders in the league, still Winnipeg, still a top team in that central division. Mainly because Connor Hellebuck making them Hellebucks making them hella saves. For the Jets. Tuka Rask. Probably should keep moving here. Got two more awards to get to before we cut to break. Tuka Rask. The best team in the league. One of the best goaltenders in the league. 26-8-6 is Mr. Rask this year with a 2-1-2 goals against average and a 9-2-9 save percentage. Second in save percentage. Leading the league in goals against average, guys. Whether what you say about him or not, he chokes in big game situations. Can't win the big one. Whatever. You ain't winning them games without Tuka Rask this year. You're not going to win 44 games without the play of Tuka Rask. Now, yes, him and Yaroslav Alok have been a magnificent duo. Tuka Rask has only had to play 41 games this year, wins 26. You have Halak winning 18 of his 29 starts. Not bad numbers. Both have six overtime slash shootout losses. These guys are a dynamic duo. They'll probably, I, I don't know exactly where the exact numbers for goals against, so I don't know who's going to win the Jennings yet. But those guys have been really good. And Rask himself has really stood out. He is up there in saves this season. Let's see where exactly where he's at. He's actually kind of further down than I looked for. He's actually 19th. But of course, when the top goaltender who has the most saves is Connor Hellebuck. I should have done more research. 1,656 saves for Connor Hellebuck. A little bit ahead, almost 100 ahead of Carey Price, who almost has 1,600 himself. Vasilevsky has almost 1,500. Okay, fine. You want to give Vasilevsky because he has a lot of saves? Fine. 2.56 goals against the average, though. Just saying. I like Tukaras, though. I don't, I mean, Hellebuck, that's the coin flip right there. Who should be it? Connor Hellebuck playing with a depleted defense. Tukaras being consistent. Take your pick. Not Vasilevsky. Norris Trophy winning. Norris Trophy for the best defenseman in the league. Now, this one has always gotten, excuse me, not always, it has gotten criticism as of late because it seems like the players who win the award are the defensemen with the most points. Best offensive defenseman. Now, there should there be an award like that? Absolutely. Because I remember how the pro hockey writers like to have the award of the Rod Langway Award, which goes to best defensive defenseman, which should be the Norris, but defenseman, Norris, for the complete defenseman, which does include offense and defense, but it just seems like lately 
has been the defenseman with the most points. Now, that said, the three nominees. Roman Yossi, captain of the Nashville Predators, leads the team in points. That in itself is, I'd say, pretty impressive. He's second in defenseman in scoring. 16 goals, 49 assists, plus 22 on a Predators team, guys, that fired their coach because they were bad defensively and they had a bad goaltender. I get it, plus you know, plus and minus these days. The, that stat is really tough. You really got to dive into the deep analytics on you know shots given up, expected goals against, and all those crazy deep you know Fenwick analytics or whatever. But he's still been a consistently good defenseman despite having to play close to twenty six minutes a night. I get it. He may not win it, but man. The fact that the Predators are, I don't say as bad as they are because they're not as good, I've seen years past. Remember, we talked with Pete Weber a couple weeks ago, the Nashville play-by-play voice. The fact that he's been able to be this good on both ends of the rink despite the inconsistencies of the team this season just shows how good he has been. The other being Victor Hedman, third in points by defenseman, 11 goals, 44 assists in 66 games. He is a plus 27, which I believe is up there. He is fourth in plus-minus by defenseman. Ryan Graves of Colorado with a plus 40. Sheesh, he must be be playing with Nathan McKinnon a lot, let me tell you. But Victor Hedman, another great year, you know, playing over 24 minutes a night against the team's top players. You can definitely tell he's been able to recover because remember how very spacious he was when he was injured in that playoff series against Columbus last year. Been able to come back and show once again he should be a Norris Trophy candidate. Whether or not he wins it, I don't know. It's all to be foreseen, but he's been very capable. Of course, you know, this is a guy that has won it before. He won it in 2018 with good old vet Mark Giordano in it last year. He's a long way away from, of course, getting up to Nicholas Lidstrom, who has won it, by the way, seven times. I'm not going to say seven times, seven times, seven times. I'm not going to do that because, like I said, we have other guests to talk about. And the other one, the last one, John Carlson. The leader in defenseman in points with 75. 75 points by a defenseman. Listen, these aren't Bobby Orr numbers. Boy, that's pretty good, though. 26 points on the power play. Okay. But a guy that averaged over a point a game as a defenseman. The only other defenseman to have actually done this this season doesn't even qualify because Cameron Gauntz only played three games, got four points with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Three games. John Carlson, 1.09 goals or points per game, excuse me, playing 24 and a half minutes a night for the division winning Washington Capitals. Listen, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to say he's going to win it because of that, but it's still pretty darn impressive. So we'll have to see who gets it from those three. Last one here, do a quickly run through here. Probably the MVP candidates, the Ted Lindsay award, which is the MVP voted by the players themselves. Leon Dreisaitl, the league leader in goals and points. 43 goals, 67 assists, 110 points this year. Holy smokes, he's good with 110 points. Pardon me. He is the leader in points and assists. Goals, I'm like, that's not right because it's David Pasternak and Alex Ovechkin sharing the award for the Rocket Richard Trophy because with 48 goals. But still, Leon Dreisaitl, he stepped out of the shadow of Connor McDavid, which is obviously good to see for the Oilers. 
Nathan McKinnon of Colorado Avalanche, 93 points, 35 goals, 58 assists in 69 games played. Nice number on the games played there. Very capable player. He's a Hart Trophy candidate in my eyes for sure. Artemi Panarin, 95 points with the New York Rangers team. That is underperformed at times, but has still been pretty good, and I can't wait to see who the players pick. Those three are the favorites to be the Hart Trophy nominees. The league has not announced those yet, but obviously all sorts of great possible players to win the awards. Obviously, it's a couple that, like I said, probably shouldn't be there, but you know what? Listen, I'm not part of the pro hockey, pro hockey writers. If I were, I well, I'd probably be in a studio and stuff like that, but I digress. We're going to take a quick break here, folks. When we come back, we're going to have Rachel Anderson from Access Hockey MI to talk about some Detroit Red Wings prospects, Grand Rapids Griffins, and even the United States Hockey League's Muskegon Lumberjack. Some junior hockey here on the Keel Show. We'll be back here on 12 Ounce Sports right after this. Welcome back, everyone, here to the Kuehl Show here on 12-Ounce Sports here on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you're watching us on. And, of course, if you're watching the replay tomorrow on the Kuehl Show's YouTube channel, that's fine as well. We're glad, of course, you can be a part of that. But we're bringing on our guest, second guest here of today's show. She is one half of Access Hockey MI. You probably remember her from a few weeks ago, or a few, well, few weeks ago, a few months ago. It's been a while. <laughs> she she helps along with her sister, Janae. They cover the Red Wings, the Griffins, the Skeegan Lumberjacks, even the Toledo Walleye of the ECHL. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Rachel Anderson. Rachel, how are you doing today, ma'am? Oh, thanks for that intro. That was really nice. I'm doing well, and I am exactly one half, so I, I appreciate the, the half shout out. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to give a shout out to Janae as well. At That's Janae, true. At Janae Photos, but uh, by the way, she always produces some great photography. Absolutely. Course, not just for Access Hockey MI, but for the hockey writers as well. And so, yeah, how are you doing, Rachel? I mean, since I'm, the last time we talked. Uh, it's, it's been a minute, but we're, we're doing pretty good. Just plugging away, finding hockey where we can. Super pumped that the lottery happened and that there's actually ho- hockey to talk about now. Now, <laughs> and oh, go ahead. Training Sorry. camps underway. Training camps, unfortunately, not yep. with the Detroit Red Wings, but it's okay. I, Ken Cal, <laughs> I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's doing okay with everything and all that. <laughs> he needs the time off. He's got to rest that voice. Oh, yeah, because he's got to be ready for the future of Detroit, which we'll exactly. get to later on. But the draft lottery, <laughs> yes. when that happened, I will be the first, I will admit, I laughed. I laughed <laughs> because it's, it's the most, as of right now, with the way Detroit sports are, it's the most Detroit thing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> to to not get the first overall pick after an abysmal season. What was you your know, that, what was your first that, reaction? That was actually pretty close. So Janae and I actually we we went to Pepino's. We decided to make a night of it and we were like, "Hey, let's get some pizza and watch this. This is going to be epic and we're going to get a really good pick." And we were sorely disappointed. Um, we definitely were not expecting fourth. We were definitely expecting a little bit further up out of all things and the whole placeholder thing I think is what we got stuck on the most. Um you know, we were, it was just, it was not what we were expecting at all. And I think all the hype, especially since we were so terrible this season, you know, we had a lot of hope going into the lottery that that would, that would bear some great results. And, you know, we can still do something with four. I trust Iserman. I know he's going to do great things, but it was, it was not at all what we were anticipating. That is for sure. 
I I mean, listen, the guy was drafted fourth overall. So, I mean, it only yeah. makes sense that his big pick may be a fourth overall pick. And yeah. I, I guess, you know, obviously Lafreniere is number one. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone in their right mind is saying otherwise. But there's other guys that could, in fact, fall back. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we, everyone, you know, talking about Quentin Byfield, Tim Stutzel from Mannheim, which is where Mo mm-hmm. Sider played for. You know, mm-hmm. who do you think, if the right guy is available, who do you think Eiserman is looking at possibly getting in that four spot? Uh, you know, it, it's kind of ironic because prior to this, Janae and I, the last couple of weeks have been talking about that. And if with, with this fourth pick, if he's available, we would love Tim Stutzla. Like that would, his, his big frame, he kind of fits like last year, Eiserman drafted big. Um, he's, he's not shying away from the big high skilled guys. You know, it, it looks like he's kind of trying to create a team that can fend for themselves. And in the conference we're in, you know, we have to have that physical presence that we don't have now. Stutzla has that and he has the finesse. Um, so if he is available at four, I don't think he will be, but if he's available at four, I would love to take him. Um, and I don't know if we're, that's where Eiserman's at, but obviously we had good luck with cider. And so that speaks a lot to, you know, Mannheim and what they're producing over there right now. Um, but if he, if, if, if not him, I would love Lucas Raymond, you know, he's not the big frame, but he is incredibly skilled. Um, he is, and Janae had described as he's got, um, he's got eyes of the ice. So not necessarily great vision on the ice, but it, it's kind of one in the same, except a step beyond that. He can foresee these plays happening, anticipate the plays, but at a moment's notice, kind of rewind back, control the puck and keep it moving. And Stutzel is the same way, except just a bigger body. So either one of those two guys, if they're available at four, I would love to see them in a Red Wings jersey. That would just make all my dreams come true, really. You know, there are obviously a lot of guys. And if somehow some crazy thing happens where the stars align and somehow Byfield just drops back to four, I don't think the Wings would say no to that. But one right. guy that I keep hearing about, and I don't want to say I keep hearing about because I, I've known the guy since he was a rookie with Saginaw, is called Perfetti. I mean, you know, yep. he's only 5'10", 177, but he's a center and you – from, I guess, since Steve Eiserman, gold medal winning manager when he was with Team Canada, you build a team through centers and then you can disperse mm-hmm. them on the wings. Perfetti almost fits that. Right. Yeah, Perfetti, I've seen a little bit of him, honestly. I'm, I'm not like a, a super, super knowledgeable. I'm, I'm definitely no expert when it comes to him. But him and Marco Rossi, I know, have, they're kind of a lot of times talked about in tandem with each other, having similar skill sets. Perfetti, I think is kind of the dark horse out of the two of them where, you know, from what I have seen of him and what I have heard and read, he is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. And I think he would be a great pick. I mean, if Eiserman wanted to go that route, heck, if we could, if we could get all three of them, let's get Raymond Stutzla and Perfetti. (laughs) Maybe they drop really, really far back and we take them in second. But I think, Perfetti could be a good mix, but I would love to see some bigger bodies continue to filter through the pipeline. And it's not to say that just because they're big, they're going to be really good. You know, a lot of times that comes with some difficulty skating and agility work that has to be really honed in on over the next couple of years. But I would love to see just kind of a more stacked line that would be able to fend for themselves. Um, high skilled players that they are, it would be nice to, it would be nice if they could take a hit and give one out. Um, you know, we're not going to become brutes by any means, but I think in the last couple of seasons, that's one thing Detroit has been lacking is more of an aggressive, um, dominance on the ice, you know, not being cheap, not doing the Brad Marchand and licking people's faces and just being irritating. Well, I mean, it works. (laughs) It works. Leafs fans have learned that. (laughs) Exactly. He definitely embraces the whole nickname of the rat, but I would just love to see the team become a high skilled and 
high caliber physical presence too. Um, I think that's something since we've switched, um, since we switched conferences, I want to say it was like what 2014 or 15 that we did. I, I think that really kind of set us up for failure because we had a pretty lean, high skilled team that wasn't used to, you know, physically dominating, you know, until Franz and came along right. <laughs> and that was very short lived, unfortunately. But I mean, there's, there's obviously talent and I, you know, it's funny because I was able to actually check out a little bit of that Germany, Switzerland game. Yeah. Um, that was yesterday. So you see in Stutzland, he's, you know, he's, he, I remember there was one play that he set up a goal, but he bounced out to the perimeter and I, and I, so one of our, uh, one of the people I follow, Rachel Dory, who used to be a, ho- a hockey video coach with the Jersey devils. And she said, uh-huh. great size, great skill, but bounces out to the perimeter uh, when there's, you know, pl- problems in the high slot. And you almost don't want to see that, especially, you know, here in the NHL, you got to be able to put mm-hmm. the shoulder down, but the kid's young, the kid will develop. Yeah. And that's what I think. That's why Detroit would want to get him because you're not just going to throw him against the top line in the NHL. You're going to put him in Grand Rapids. You're going to have right. probably room with Mo Sider because, well, yeah, they know each other pretty well, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be great for chemistry. And I think that's one thing, too. And Janae and I always talk about this where, you know, the the top guys in the draft in and of itself, they're very skilled players from around the world, obviously. But it will take all of them several seasons to get to where they need to be professionally. You know, not all of them, especially in the way that the Wings have handled the organization over the last 20 plus years. It's not something where they draft someone immediately put them in, uh, you know, on, on the top line in Detroit. Uh, the development is ex- extremely important, and I think that's something that they're going to be focusing a ton more attention on, not just pulling and plopping in the NHL. We have nothing to lose right now. I think we would even benefit from having a mailbox and goal. Like, that would be better than what we've got. But that being said, we have to kind of leave a little bit of room, of course, for, for growth. You know, all these guys, I, to me, are the same caliber of elite, just in different areas. Um, so just kind of allowing, you know, maybe four to five seasons for each of them to be really 100% ready to take on the NHL. And you did talk about goaltending. And yes, Jimmy Howard, <laughs> his groin is not there. Jonathan Bernier is older than most Little Caesars pizzas that you get at the rink. Um, <laughs> not a shot at Little Caesars. I'm sorry. I still like the pizza. It's still good. Reasonably <laughs> still priced. Good still hot and ready. But... A goaltender would not be a bad selection. Obviously, it depends on when because you got to see how the draft kind of goes. And there's a lot right. of goaltending prospects this year. When do you think Stevie would draft a goaltender? And if so, who? I mean, who would you think that would be a good pick? Maybe. Oh gosh, honestly, if Steve were to go for, I mean, we obviously have to get um, a, a goaltender. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think. To be realistic, it would be something in, in one of the later second, like late second round, if I'm not mistaken, we have two or three picks in that round. Um, so, I mean, they would be, that would be the ideal time to get them. Um, the, the trick with goaltenders is because they do take so much longer. And you, if I recall correctly, you're a goaltender. So it does take, <laughs> <laughs> we all have our faults, but it does take a lot longer. And so I think that's something they're not going to want to quote, waste a, a top pick on. And it wouldn't be wasting in my, in my eyes, but as far as timeline goes, it would be probably not the best idea to pick them high. Um, man, as far as who though, that's, oh man, let me, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to sit on that one. Let's chew on that one for a little bit. We'll come back to that. I need to kind of compare a couple here before I make my decision. <laughs> There's a couple and uh, Nico Dosby and one of them played for Guelph. Mm-hmm. was a big goaltender in the world junior tournament. The Red Wings, as I look at my good friends here at catfriendly.com, they have three picks this year in the second round, their own, Edmonton's second round pick and Washington's. 
that they ironically acquired on my birthday last year. How I'll go figure. They have two <laughs> two third round picks, their own and San Jose's. They don't have their own fourth, but they do have the Oilers fourth, and they also have their own fifth, sixth, and seventh. And goaltenders you can draft later, but I I don't want to say it's a sense of urgency, but just to see how Philip Larson mm-hmm. kind of just tailed off this season with the Griffins. Right. That almost does. Do you think that puts a little bit of urgency to Stevie Y, or is it kind of oh, just yeah. like just you know hope may maybe he bounces back in his second season in North America. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, I, I mean, of course I don't want to speak too much for Iserman, <laughs> um, but I'll have him with, on the show in a few weeks. We'll be, we'll be talking about, no, I won't. There's no, not a chance, not a chance. To be wise that would be awesome show. if you could, but I think with, with the way Philip Larson did, and it's with, with him, he's a fantastic goalie, I think. And I, I believe we touched on this last time too. He got into his head too much um, where he got into his head, but he didn't take it seriously enough. Um, which is a little bit of a shame, but I think with Eiserman kind of taking a look at that and what our prospect pipeline looks like for goaltenders, we still have a couple that are one to two seasons out before they can even hit the AHL realistically. So I do think there is a level of urgency there, which is not a bad thing. So, I mean, we, I mean, I, I believe we got Victor Bratstrom. He's not coming until I want to say the 2021, 22 season, but he's going to be great to have kind of in the wing, um, just kind of ready and waiting because we're not going to be able to develop one that fast. That's going to be ready. And he's got that elite professional ability. So that's something to kind of look forward to. And I think that might stave off a huge sense of urgency. Um, but I, I do definitely think with Larson, even Petrozelli being about a year or two out still, um, and Caden Fulcher still hanging out in Toledo, I do think there's definitely some need there to kind of stock up that pipeline. Because with goalies, I mean, you're looking at if they go to the collegiate route, you know, four to five, six seasons until they're even ready for the ECHL or AHL. Um, so I, I definitely think we should get at least maybe two, two or three. I would, I would not bat an eye at three, honestly. <laughs> We've got some picks to play with, but I realistically, I think they'd end up pulling for two. It's so hard to pick goal. And that's why it's it like, is. I think ever since Ricky DiPietro went number one back in 2000, I believe it was, no one's ever going to pick a goaltender in the first round anymore because right. they realize how big of a risk it was. Even though DiPietro had like a couple good seasons, it's not worth a gamble losing a first round pick because they end up losing Roberto Luongo thanks to that. So I'm pretty sure Mike Millerberry still likes to sit on that one. <laughs> but they're... There's obviously other players to draft. Like I said, seven rounds, a lot of picks for the wings here. Who do you think the Red Wings should look at that aren't the top prospects that they could get in the later rounds? Hmm. See, there's, and see, I, I keep getting stuck on this one because it is such, it, this pipe, this prospect pool, just like last year, is so heavy with similar talent. Um, that really, if you pick later and you don't get the number one, number two, number three, or whatever, you're still going to get an incredible player. One player that I would absolutely love to see get pulled out, but I, I don't think he's getting enough attention would be Jake Sanderson. Um, you know, spending, he, he was with the, the U S national development team, um, incredible organization for development. Um, watching them is, is just, it's really a thing of beauty, but he is, I think one of the unsung heroes, and I think he'll honestly go probably first round. Um, I don't think Detroit will take him, but I think he'll go first. But he's he's one of those players that he's incredibly talented along the boards. He's he's very confident. Um, he skates confidently. He controls the play very well, um, and he knows how to slow down the game. Where you know he's he's the one calling the shots. He does a great job of that. Um, and as a defenseman, um, <laughs> he's a very good point producer too. And he's got a big frame to build on. So I think he's kind of one of the ones that not a lot of people are are paying attention to, um, which really should be. And anyone coming out of the U.S. developmental program, obviously, we saw last year 
they had outstanding uh, results when it came to the draft. I want to say it was like 17 of their 18 eligibles were drafted. And the only reason their whole team wasn't eligible is because two of them were underage. So that speaks a lot to the caliber of skill there. So I I think he's kind of a sleeper. Um, If he doesn't go first round, I'm going to be shocked, honestly. And and I think the thing that everyone learned from last year, because I kind of hinted on him, I talked about Quinn Hughes being a a candidate for the caller. I talked about Jack and how, I I don't want to say unprepared, but underdeveloped he was jumping right into the NHL. So I think people are going to be less likely to draft the national from the U S national development team, at least so early in the round, because they're so understanding that we don't need him right away. So he yeah. may go back a little bit. Like I said, you, you know, they're not talking about him because well, they're, he's not going to make an immediate impact mm-hmm. where guys like Lafreniere Byfield, they're going to be in the NHL for sure. Whenever next season begins, that right. said, obviously they have a lot of play. Detroit has a lot of players waiting in the wings. <laughs> Thank you. I thought of that one for about three hours. Um, that was fantastic. Well played. Uh, thank you very much. But who do you think is ready of all the prospects they have overseas, collegiately, whatever, who do you mm-hmm. think is going to make the jump professionally, whether it be to the wings or whether it be to Grand Rapids? Who do you think people in Michigan are going to see through the Red Wing system coming pro next year? I, I honestly think Rasmussen has a huge chance. Um, he's been, because they, they put a lot of, I mean, he started off obviously in the NHL and it had a lot to do with his contracts and his age and everything going on with that. But sending him back down to Grand Rapids was probably the best thing they could have done with him. Um, even coming back from injury and kind of, he didn't even really have a slow start in the season. They switched him to center. He was primarily a winger. So last season they switched him to center and he just took to that so well. Um, and I, his production was just absolutely outstanding. And that kid can deflect a puck from anywhere. Um, and I think he's his confidence and his ability to fill that center slot. He knows how to use his body. He knows how to read the play. He knows how to shoot. The kid can shoot like crazy and just see things way ahead of everybody else. Granted, he's a head taller than everybody else. Yeah. But he, I think he's one that most people I don't think would expect to make the jump. But I believe after seeing him last season, um, there was not one game that he was playing that I was disappointed in his consistency and his production. Even the games that he wasn't scoring or having assists or or whatever, he was phenomenal on the special teams. Um, And I think he's really earned that trust with the brass. So I think there's a very good chance that he's going to get pulled um, for a long-term stint this coming season. Um, One of those ones that though he started off in the NHL, I think people were kind of quick to dismiss when he got sent back down. Like, oh, he's not good enough. No, they wanted to switch his position. So it takes a little getting used to. So I think he's one that's going to probably shock a lot of people um, next season. So I'm super pumped because honestly, when they, when the roster actually starts getting more into like a regular season groove and we start seeing those, those names and everything show up where they're supposed to be. um, I think he's, he's going to be one that's going to really take people by surprise, but I think he's earned it. And I mean, you you always want to see guys, especially in a rebuilding team, you're going to see guys mm-hmm. that typically won't get shots with teams that are more competitive towards the playoffs. So Rasmussen, mm-hmm. like I said, may get a good call up. A guy mm-hmm. that bounced around last year and arguably probably earned enough travel miles to send my brother and I to like Hawaii or something <laughs> is Philip Zadina. <laughs> listen, this is three hours of sleep and coffee mixed together. This is we're on fire today. Um, but Zadina, cause you get, you and Janae just did a video talking about him and I, yeah. I was able to see him a few times, obviously with the wings, but then in grand Rapids and as well. And mm-hmm. I, I always tell people, yes, you can watch games on TV, but watching it live in person, it's so much different. 
it is. That's, yeah. that's why I said Anthony Mantha, like he was nowhere near ready when he came to the Griffins. Cause I just watched him. And I'm like, he's a liability, but Zadina <laughs> is a guy that, you know, he's been able to get back. He's, you know, he's getting the lineup. He's not in the lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, where do you think he stands with, you know, I guess with the Detroit brass, is mm-hmm. he ready to make that full-time jump next year? Or are they gonna, I guess, test him, you know, with his bus legs, I guess. I think, I think they're probably going to give him a chance. I mean, if to start the season, I wouldn't be surprised if they started him in Grand Rapids just for a handful of games. Cause I know at the end of, of this last season, he was nursing an injury. So it might be something where they try to condition him for a little bit, just to make sure that he's physically ready to go. Um, and I will say for Zadina, he, you know, I, I'm, I'm not exactly a ground worshiper. Neither is Janae when it comes to the first round picks and stuff. And I'm sure everybody knows that. And it's not to be condescending or anything or naysayers, but we know that this stuff takes time and it's a ton of pressure on these kids. Zadina took it hard, I think, that first season, but he was still able to, able to produce. But this last season, and the time I did see him in Grand Rapids, he's grown quite a bit in his his work ethic. And I stress confidence a lot because how your game is in your head affects dramatically what happens on the ice. And with him, he's really matured over the last year or two. And Janae and I, we actually, the the recent video we did, we do think that Detroit is going to give him a shot and that he has earned that NHL call. I think he executed very well what they've required of him. Um, I can't exactly say who I've talked to about it, but many people within the organization have, you know, spoken about the requirements on these individual players and Zadina being one of them and how he's been able to execute and show them that he's willing to put in the work and that he's not going to let his mind get in the way. Um, the only thing with him is he is kind of one of those, not, not fancy footed, but he is a very skilled puck handler. Um, physically, he's not really, he can't really absorb hits too well. So he does need a little extra help in that sense. Um, but I think Detroit has seen enough from him to really want to put him on the NHL ice long term and and really see where he goes. He won't. He's not going to be a top line center right away, no. and I think that'll disappoint people. Um, I can see him starting third and working his way up. But and that's the thing too with the NHL and especially with Detroit, you have to earn your way up. And I don't think he's going to have a problem with that. So I'm I'm really impressed with how he's grown. And I started off a little hesitant in, when he was initially drafted and like, oh, what's all this about? Because going from the QMJHL to translate over into pros, it is night and day difference. Um, so, oh yeah, it's it's crazy. So if you got hundred and something points in the QMJHL, good luck in the AHL, buddy. But he did. I think he's handled it well these last couple of seasons. So we we both think that he's going to end up in in Detroit next season for sure. So let me text my buddy Marcus Kinney. Toughen up <laughs> Zadina. Send. Okay, got it. <laughs> I actually just saw him the other day. He's uh he's doing well apparently. Oh, I haven't seen Marcus since the season ended. Apparently, he's got guys working out with him, and I'm like, like who? And oh he's yeah. Like, it's like I can't. Yeah, they they got the gym open and everything. I see the guys down there. I just we can't go in. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, and I, Marcus is like, yeah, man, come on down, work out with the guys, and I'm like. Cause I told him like I wanted to work out cause I, I working out at home is getting old pretty quickly, but he's like, Hey, hey man. dude, I opened a gym in a storage unit. Just, you gotta be creative. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well, I just, my, if you, if you've ever seen the studio or the office that I have here, I have bikes, like a foot off the table and there's, it's cluttered. And then we're going <laughs> to, then we're getting a dog soon and that's just going to clutter everything. There's not a whole lot of room here, but Hey, you know what? Yoga is great strength for your shoulders because there you go. There you, you go. Do, that's positive right there. Do downward dog for an hour and a half and tell me how your shoulders feel. Um, <laughs> no, thanks. But outside of Rasmussen and Zadina, Philip Zadina, as my good buddy, Gareth McDonald used to call him when he was back in Halifax, <laughs> who, who else do you think is, I don't want to say ready, but 
close to making that jump. I mean, there's guys like Valeno and a bunch of other mm-hmm. guys down here in Grand Rapids. Who do you think right. is on that right path to making a jump sooner rather than later? Right. I would, I would absolutely love to see, um, Giovanni Smith get more of a shot. Um, he's, he's one of those players. Again, he's not a huge point producer or anything like that, but this last season, he has just come absolute leaps and bounds. Now, I don't know if it's NHL caliber yet, but I think he's one of those players that if you, and, and we saw it in the games that he did play with Detroit, um, you know, he got, he got his goals and assists and everything. His dad was there and it's a huge moment for him. And he's the kind of guy that that kind of stuff really inspires him to push harder. He is a fighter, not in the sense that he's going to drop the gloves all the time, which he will if he has to. Um, but he's transitioned his game from being more of a brute, which I think he kind of came in with this mentality that he had to be because he was a bigger guy. He was a bit more of an instigator. Um, but I think he's really found a more creative side to his game, um, a little bit more well-rounded. And it's it's really shown in this last season where, you know, even in plays where he's getting stuck and everything, where normally this, his rookie year, he would have just been ticked off to the point where he's just going to turn around and punch someone in the face, which however entertaining to the crowd is not effective for the team. And he's really learned to control that and to channel that into, you know, executing plays and looking for those lanes to pass and everything. So I think I would love to see him get more of a, uh, more of a chance. Um, I think he's got the body and he's got a great mentality too. He's I've, I've just been really impressed with his mature, his, his development in that sense over the last year. I, I you know it's funny when I went to the GLI last year working with the hockey writers. I remember I I actually it was right before right after the morning practice for San Jose, right before Detroit went on the ice. I saw Giovanni because he just been called up, and I told my brother, and he's like, "And you didn't talk to him?" And I'm like, "I was busy talking." I saw him. I was busy talking to Carlson, man. And I was like, "What do you? Yeah, I got to save my he, save that." But Giovanni, he's I mean, one of he's such a cool guy, just super level headed, and you know he's he's got a really cool story. And I just I I really think with people like that, and I just did a story on on Tyler Spezia. It's those those stories that really give you an insight as to why they are the player they are and what is actually going to push them to develop further. And I think the team does a great job of trying to find that in them too. Just those motivators. And with, with Smitty, I, I was so pumped when I saw that he got pulled up. I literally squealed and I don't do that. So it was, it was a big day. <laughs> you probably were like, my, uh, it's a bummer that my brother had to do schoolwork tonight. Cause he is a Giovanni. Like if there's a fan club, Giovanni's at or t- my brother's at the head of the Giovanni's fan club. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there is a fan club, at least here in GR. Everybody loves him, And I, I love having him on the team. He's such a cool guy. It's funny. Like him, my brother only like nine months apart too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. literally you guys be like best friends. It'd be hilarious. Cause Giovanni's just this massive. I mean, he's literally Wayne Simmons, but left-handed Wayne Simmons. Oh, yeah. He's the new market train. Giovanni Smith is the Thornhill steamroller. <laughs> yeah. I want he's, that he's, to be a hashtag. He's a, try it, dude. You're on a roll. You might as well make it happen. Steamroller. He's, 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 <laughs> he's got, he's, he's got just a, a really cool demeanor too. Like every time I've talked to him, in the locker room. He's one of the most polite guys you'll ever talk to the entire team. Really? Like when they're dealing with media, I think they have very tight restrictions and behavior that they're supposed to follow. But Smith, he seems just really genuine. And I love that. And I think that's something too. And just even off the ice, the character in the locker room has a lot to do with where the team goes too. So if you've got, you know, you have a crappy game, the wings had a, a crappy entire season, but if you can, somehow not just find the positive and go hug yourself, tell yourself you're great and stuff, but be able to encourage your teammates and find those things that, 
can lift them to a higher level of game. I think Smith is one of those guys that he can do that. And on the ice too, he can push his line mates to be even better because that's how he wants to be. So I think I'd, I'd just be so geeked if he got a full-time spot up there. I would, I would, I'd freak. Well, I feel like with a, re- yeah, I keep saying rebuilding team, but that's what it is. They are, they are mm-hmm. in the middle of a rebuild. Having those character guys is so important because, you know, because you have a lot of young kids coming in here and, Let's be honest, Dylan Larkin, he's still a baby face. I mean, you need, <laughs> you need, got, kid. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got that forever. Sidney Crosby still can't grow a mustache. Dylan Larkin, I don't <laughs> see that change anytime soon. And, That's true. <laughs> hey, Justin Ablocator's got blonde hair like me. He can't grow a beard either. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen him come back out of summer camp and the summer skates and he looked like he tried to grow it out. It just looks and like it just a, did not happen. Yeah. We've, we've got a couple guys like that. We could use some, some tough looking dudes up there. Hey, I mean, if, if applicators Amish beard is working for him, I guess, you know, he's making a few million dollars more than I am. <laughs> You're not so. the one that has to look at it all the time. So I guess we're all right. <laughs> that, that is true. I, <laughs> Applicator, it's funny. I gave, I always gave Applicator always flack because he's a Michigan State guy and I'm a Michigan fan. But actually, getting to meet the guy, I remember I met him before because he was on the World Cup of Hockey team uh, back in 2016, I believe it was now. And he came to skate with us, and I remember I had a long talk, and he's like, "So you're gonna be on you, you know, Team USA?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm really excited." And like we had a long chat about it, and really nice guy. And mm-hmm. that's the best part about I guess being on both sides of the coin having been a player myself and actually mm-hmm. been around those guys in the locker room and then actually talking to guys in the media you get you know mixed characters you get the guys that are right. well you know we got to just play hard out there get pucks deep get all that stuff but then you have the guys all that crap yeah but then you know you're skating with them and like oh my like the loose you know loose guys are just willing to chat about anything like that's the best part of you know if, mm-hmm. is if they don't see a microphone I mean, they're just, they're fun guys to hang out with. Oh yeah. That's why I was. Yeah. And there's, there's something about, and I've noticed that too, obviously I've never been a player myself, but kind of getting to know the team over the last four years. And, you know, we see them at camps and tournaments and and all that kind of stuff. So they get used to seeing us around and, you know, getting, getting to know the staff and everything. And the guys, they are, they're super chill. They're laid back. I've almost gotten hit in the head with a soccer ball when they're doing their two touch in the back. And they're just super cool about it. It's like, well, I was walking in front of the ball, so that was my bad, but you never you know, get in the way of a two-touch game. You never do that. That's rule number one. I try to go so far around, like I'm hiding behind lighting equipment. I'm trying to avoid it so much. It's like, I don't want to mess up your pregame ritual. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they are really the coolest people, you know, aside from, and I guess to it being in media too, it teaches you how to ask those questions too. If they give you that, well, we didn't play the full 60 minutes, you know, that kind of thing, you know, just asking the right questions. But like, yeah, I know you didn't, but what part of that didn't you play right? So where did it all start going downhill? You know, knowing how to pick pick their brains and and I guess relate to them on that level. Um, that's been a really, really fun learning experience. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not gonna name names, but working with Davenport, there's been a couple kids that I've done post game interviews with and they come up to me afterwards like, Don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> They just microphones are scary. Oh my cameras, <laughs> microphones, record yep. like they're just get they they deer in the headlights, but but they're always fun to talk to. And you know, mm-hmm. speaking of younger players, you guys got your start. You really start. Remember, we talked about this with the Muskegon Lumberjacks. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I'll tell you right now, because I mean, you know, having been a hockey fan my whole life, I remember when they were the Fury. Mm-hmm. You know, pro hockey was still fun to watch and all that. And see, and when they became the Lumberjacks, first thing I did was I applied for a tryout. Didn't work out, obviously. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm and that's sure, when your fandom ended, right? I'm pretty. Oh no, I I still cheer for him because hey, it's a fun junior hockey team. It's it's a fun league. I mean, my brother it and I, is. my brother and I go there and we raz on seventeen year old kids as men now. But you know what? That's not, 
That's not it's socially that. acceptable there. You're all right. Yeah. You know, this kid's in high school, but Hey, minus 40 over there for Lincoln. Don't even have a, don't even have a name on your back. We'll, we'll, re- but yet That's harsh. we're like 10 years older than air, but, um, but it's, it's always great to see those kids because they're a lot of those guys come up and yes, yeah, some play, you know, triple a. So sometimes they get the, you know, like the, sometimes they get a little bit of limelight, but it's a rare mm-hmm. they do. So when they, the first time they come into the USHL, whether there is a camera on them, they're kind of hesitant. Has there been an experience with you with the lumberjacks that I don't want to say is awkward, but it's, you know, just, (laughs) but different because, you know, you want to interview a player, like a big prospect and it just, you all of a sudden you realize, Oh, this conversation's going a little weird. Cause obviously there's a lot of young (laughs) European players. So, (laughs) yes. Um, well we, for, oh gosh, I want to say it was like a, a season or two, like last season we didn't, we weren't able to get to Muskegon as often as pretty far of a drive. And we were very, um, devoted to Grand Rapids last season. So we did fall short in that way. But the first two seasons we were there, we consistently would go during the week and we would do player interviews after their practices. And we have tons of those up on our YouTube, which if you dare to watch our first interview attempts, just hold back your laughter as much as possible. Um, but there were plenty of situations like that. I remember with, um, oh, it was Igor Afanasyev. It was his first interview he ever did in all English. And he was so nervous before we did it. And it was in a closed room, so no one was watching him. It was just us. And I think there was three other guys in there. Um, I want to say it was uh, Benito Posa at the time. And Nolan Sullivan was in there. And Colby Bucus was as well, who was they were part of the captaincy at the time. And they were all in there. And I think that really helped to kind of make things light. But Afanasiev was so nervous that he sat down and he looked at me and he was like panicked. And I was like, all right. I was like, dude, just calm down. These are the questions I'm going to ask you. And I was like, I'm going to tell you when to go. And I was like, just act natural. So he's answering these questions and, you know, he's, he's Russian. So English is a second language to him. And I remember at one point in time, he had answered a question how he was getting better and he was learning to pass puck, not pass the puck, but pass puck. Well, Benito Posa just burst out laughing right in front of him. So he loses his composure. He's trying to focus on what's going on and starting to laugh himself. And Posa is like crying. He's laughing so hard. And, you know, it ended up like after the conversation, it was a great interview. I'm so happy we did it because he did end up getting drafted. He's a fantastic kid, phenomenal player. And it was just really cool to get to know them on that level. But afterwards, it was like this big joke, how he learned to pass puck instead of pass the puck. And, you know, stuff like that, it becomes, especially with the Euros, you have to kind of get over that language barrier sometimes. And with him, he took it very well. And I think it helped his teammates were in there. It's like, I'm not going to pick that out because I know it's not exactly your maiden language here. <laughs> so I'm not going to tease you about that. But it, they do get a little uncomfortable. I've had a few of them where you can tell they're very, very awkward sitting next to you. Um, because I am, you know, a decade older than all of them. Yeah. So I, so it's definitely something where they're like, I'm 17 years old and this woman wants to talk to me, <laughs> you know, this not in a creepy a... way, but it's just, they have to kind of wrap their head around what's happening. Yeah. Don't forget the 17 year olds, girls are still girls. They're like, Oh my gosh. It's uh, <laughs> first well, at the same time too. I'm an old woman in their eyes. So, <laughs> and also, and I'm sure, I mean, it's, and it's kind of funny because, I mean, if Afanasiev, I mean, he's kind of got to get used to doing interviews now. A, plays, oh, yeah. plays in Windsor, drafted to mm-hmm. Nashville. He actually told me he, after that, I I would send him a message like, hey, dude, following tonight's game, would you mind if I did a post game with you real quick back in the tunnel? And he loves 
interviews now. He just loves to be interviewed. So it's something that I think that was kind of like the icebreaker for him. So whoever interviews him from here on out, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, let's say it was Access Hockey MI that made the kid not camera shy. <laughs> Count yeah. it. We uh, discovered him. <laughs> and you know, I guess one of the biggest biggest parts is that the USHL has come out recently to say that they look to have a full season this year. Now, obviously yeah. what that entitles, when they start, how many games or how close, to how many games, just the fact that they've come out and said, Hey, we're going to try to come back in full force, mm-hmm. similar to how the pro leagues are doing it. Cause it's much tougher financially for these junior teams, especially oh, the yeah. SHL. They go from, you know, North Dakota all the way to dang near the coast, to yep. the East coast. How is, I guess, rewarding is it to know that there will be a season next year in the USHL and at full, full force. I'm super excited about that, honestly, because in, in Janae and I, we both want to devote a lot more time to the USHL. It's not to say that we've neglected it or anything, but there's so much talent in there that we do need to spend more time watching these guys more closely. And the fact that they are actually wanting to continue things as per usual, um, you know, even if the AHL or NHL, you know, who knows what's happening for sure with them. It's all up in the air. I think, I don't think anything certain with them ever, right. but Right now, knowing that the USHL is going to come back and they want to come back on time, um, it means a lot for the player development, especially for the young kids who are moving here. You know, they're 16, 17 years old, and this is their chance um, to really make a big impression. So the fact that that's going to continue for them, they don't have to completely alter their lives again to make that happen. But we also get the opportunity to be a part of that development sooner than, you know, other leagues. Um, and that's something too, we just, we really feel deeply about the development and giving attention to where most people wouldn't pay attention. You know, before we found the lumberjacks and before they reached out, well, one employee ended up reaching out to us. Um, we didn't even know about them. So this will give us the opportunity to almost get like a head start to really look at what the prospect pools are going to look like for the next two, three, four seasons. Um, with these really young kids and it's so cool to, to see them start and where they end up. Um, so the fact that they're coming back, not only is hockey returning, which we're just excited about in general, um, but being back at the rink will be, it'll be nice. Muskegon is still our home ice to us. Um, so it'd be really, it'll be really nice to have that opportunity just to go home essentially. I mean, it's such a nice barn though, too. It's, it's, it's gotten a lot better. <laughs> They've done great work with it. Everyone's like, Oh, but the, there's less seating. Well, yeah, but it's, I mean, but you got a taco stand there now. You, got I mean, a ta- you have a taco and tequila bar. It's in the, exactly you can like, watch what? the game and it's not like it's a destructive <laughs> view. You can only sit at the front. Exactly. At, now I don't there's know. There's some games like I don't even, there's some games because the press box is, there's a lot of people up there. So sometimes I will even go sit down by like this. They have a scout seating, kind of like a bar lounge area. I'll just take my stuff and go sit down there and talk to the scouts and hang out. You know, it's, it's a really cool, I love what they've done with it. I was a little iffy at first cause I wasn't really sure, but um, Mike Hamilton actually had walked us through when they first started ripping stuff out to redo it. And we were like, what are they doing here? And he's trying to describe it. And you know, the lights are out, the ice is gone. I'm like, I can't see it. And then we went back and it was just, it was just beautiful. I, I really, I know they, they want to make it someplace where the team can make money and the team has, you know, the city has partnered with the team for, I want to say it's like 17 more years or something crazy, Yeah. but you know, they, they want to bring money in, but they also want to make it a better place for these kids to develop in a much more desired place to be. And so I think that's, it's a step in the right direction. It looks awesome. 
Yeah, it, it's it's we've been there a couple times, brother and I. Still got to get my dad to come out there. I think he's still watching. Maybe he is. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, he well, he, September he'll be able to go. Exactly, September October it'll be great. But mm-hmm. we were gonna we were gonna try to talk about a lot of the returning players. I feel like we're gonna run out of time because unfortunately, mm-hmm. once per u- as per usual, we always went on puns. And unfortunately, what? I know it's I blame myself. We got so <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have you guys on because hey. During those couple months, you know, after the playoffs, the NHL playoffs end, we're going to need to talk about something. Hey, and I've got lots to say, and I know Janae does too, so we're good with that. Exactly. That's where we're going to have you. (laughs) But we can get to the all-decade team. We'll touch on that because there are some – it's funny because I always have to pinch myself to remember that Andrei Sveshnikov was a Muskegon (laughs) lumberjack. Yeah, right. I always have – I mean, he was – it's funny because I know he only – played, you know, he's only here for a short time, but he made such an impact and then was able to go on to be mm-hmm. a big part now in the NHL. He's arguably at this point, at least in the very, you know, like I said, decade history of the lumberjacks of the junior team, the most successful. I mean, what made mm-hmm. him such a great player at the USHL level? <laughs> his, his work ethic and raw talent. I mean, if honestly, I, I remember talking to um, Evgeny Svechnikov one time and I had said, because I had called his brother Baby Gino, and he thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. But I'm like, that's what Andre is to me. He's Baby You. So we were talking about him, and I'm like, what is so great about your brother? And he just kept going, he's so good. He's just so good. And I think he's just one of those guys. He has so much just natural talent that they've fostered it, and it just clicks with him. He's he's just one of the superior players, and I don't think it's really much effort from him either. And I'm sure he was, you know, two years old on skates and, you know, scoring breakaway shots on his dad or something. So I think he's just having the time here in the USHL. He just played way above that league anyway. He, I think it was just a stepping stone. I'm surprised he even went, but I think it was just something to get him into the U.S. <laughs> I mean, that that is a big deal. Like you get these kids come in just to kind of get accustomed because some you know, mm-hmm. some go to the OHL or the Quebec League and they just they get scared. You know yeah, I mean, and that's why like having them go to like a. I don't want to say a, I hate to say the word small time, but. It's obviously not it's a smaller as, league, right? And that's you know that's why I think it was better for him to go to that and was able mm-hmm. to just you know have a great year, build some confidence, and obviously yep. started and turned to a young but so far successful NHL career. The guy right. that received the most votes, shocking enough, and maybe it's because recently bias was Afanasiev, and also because he played in two seasons with the Lumberjacks, and right. Obviously, with the exception of developing as a great interviewer or interviewee. <laughs> He obviously became, you know, a guy that was able to get drafted by the National Predators because of how good he was here with the Jacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he really called that, that whole season when he became draft eligible. I remember Janae and I watching. We were we were monitoring the Central Scouting rankings just to see where he would end up because it's like it's like a drug to see where our guys on this this list. We're like, oh my gosh, we know them, but it was so cool just to see him kind of leapfrog week after week, after week, after week. And we saw him play and how that translated over. And we would see the scouts there. Um, even Igor Larionov senior was there. Um, we saw Steve Eiserman there several times. So you knew there was, there was high power brass there watching. And the coolest part of it is, is that though he was an amazing player, um, you know, when he started there in 2017, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't do too bad for himself. He was incredible, but he still had a huge team in front of him that got a lot more ice time, but he was still able to produce. So when that following season came and you saw like Anthony Del Gaizo kind of move on to college um, and a lot of the bigger, the bigger names would kind of filter out as they do in the USHL, he got so much more ice time and he made so much use of that ice time. It was so cool just to see him take that European style, the passing play style and 
really developed more of an offensive style to it too. So he was able to kind of switch it on and off, which was really awesome to see. And even at one point in time, there was five Russians. So they kept calling themselves the Russian five, which I was like, eh, maybe not, but you know, we'll, we'll let I'm, you go with it. Hey, La- Larry junior was there. So I, you could <laughs> technically just carry that on. If it's a wrestling yeah. thing, that's what oh, they, wrestling does. They repackage everything. So exactly. They ran with it. But the coolest thing, the coolest thing for Afanasyev is that he is, He's a very high-skilled, talented, big player, but watching he, even his skating got so much better. Like he's a good skater, but that 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 season, I, I want to say, it was a 2018-19 season was his last one there. He was his 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 angles and his agility had just catapulted, and I was not surprised when Nashville took him. I really hated the fact that Nashville took him because he took Joachim Kondalik, they took uh, Mark Delgaizo as well. So it's like, oh, those are all my guys. Why are you taking them all? Detroit needs those guys. But he's 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 a big producer, and I'm, and he's a big crowd favorite too. He's a sweetheart, and I think that's why he probably got the most votes. Is he's really good at PR as well. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean if. If yeah, I say good at PR, and he, I remember the first game I saw him in his first season. I didn't even know how to say mm-hmm. his last name until he scored. I, I, my brother and I were just yelling, "You go get him, FCI Wobble." It's a, it's go. a tricky one. Afanasyev. Go, yeah, gotta... go get him. That's what we just go get him because we only, <laughs> you know, we only go to a few games a year. But, but two of the other guys they got both are brothers. So we're talking about mm-hmm. Lariana being father and son. How about the Anthony Delgaizo and Mark Delgaizo? I hope it's, it's Delgaizo, right? From what I remember, Delgaizo. Yep. 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 And yeah, Anthony we... was like the. I believe he's played the most games out of any lumberjack, at least in the junior level, because he was there for I think three seasons. He was. Yep. Yep. He was there for three seasons. And let me see if I can get my facts right here. Cause I actually pulled up his facts just to make sure. <laughs> um, but he was third overall in lumberjacks history for games played second for goals, fifth for points, fourth for penalty minutes, second for points in a single season goals in a single season. He was third and points per game in a single season. He was third. So he's got some pretty good credentials. I would say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's I, we, we talked to him and um, him and Mark, a few times just because them being brothers and them playing often on the same line, they are the best, in my opinion, the best brother duo that I've seen come through. Um, but they're just, they're really cool guys. They feed off each other and they work really well together and they have very similar personalities, but Del Gaizo, he was, I mean, he was a captain for a reason. Um, he was an incredible leader and he wasn't, he, he was a vocal leader when he was there, when he had to be, but he was very much into the demonstrative leadership where I'm going to go out on the ice. I'm going to show you how I want it done. Let's all do this now. And that just goes to show in his stats, honestly, like you, you, can't, you really can't argue with it. And he's got, I want to say, um, there's 155 or 157, somewhere in there, um, career games with the lumberjacks. So, I mean, he's, he, the kid's got experience. I'm actually really surprised he hasn't gone on anywhere besides, um, UMass quite yet. I mean, uh, a lot of guys get those tryouts coming out of college and, mm-hmm. you know, it, cause I, you know, working with Ferris state a little bit this past year, I see, you know, guys like, like top players just, you know, get, they get signed by the ECHL teams at the end or a couple go to the AHL and, right. and it, it is a transition for some. So, you know, yeah, you mm-hmm. never know. It may get to be Maybe a late season signing by an AHL team may make it. Hey. Yeah, that would be that'd be cool. I know Mark isn't going to have a problem working his way through. That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, not at all. The other defenseman was Christian Wollinen, and he got twenty six and a half percent of the votes, which was obviously of him being the only one of two defensemen. Played a couple seasons. This was really early on. I this is how I like I remember him because when I saw his name, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot because right you now it's been a decade and. I remember when that team made it to the Clark Cup. I went to 
almost I know it's not all of them, but I went to a lot of the playoff games that year and it's that's why I'm glad that the rink has been fixed. Mercy Health Arena now. I almost said LC Walker. But <laughs> back when it was LC Walker cuz it was it was so I mean they had probably had the same amount of fans they would on a nightly basis now, but it looks uh-huh. so empty with it being like 5,000 seat arena, but oh, it's still a great atmosphere. And mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They're, they're crazy fans, man. They're passionate. I, I hate Muskegon, Muskegon folks. They are tough. They, they, <laughs> they, like, they will fight you. <laughs> they, oh my gosh. I, oh gosh, I got to bring up this quick story. So not, we didn't go to a game, unfortunately this past year, but the year before we go to a game is late in the season. They're playing Lincoln and, we're sitting because my brother knew one of the interns. So we got free tickets. We sat on the last row, but which obviously the last row, at, you know, Mercy Health now is not that bad. Uh-huh. And we're sitting there and we're just, we're going to town. We are lined up. We're ready to go. We have the chirps lined up. We're keeping it clean. There's, you know, youth hockey teams all around. You know, we've got to make sure it's safe for the kids. Right. But right. there were these 15, 16 year old girls that were sitting a couple seats down. My wife was there as well. And my brother's girlfriend at the time. And she, my wife was separating between myself and these girls. And like, they're like, they, these girls look like they'd never seen a hockey game before. <laughs> and like puck drop, we're on them. We're just giving it the entire time. 60 minutes, full tilt. We were giving as much effort as the Jacks were. Right. And the, these girls look over. I'm like, are you going to be doing this all game long? And then my wife just stands <laughs> up and just slams her foot. It's hockey. It's called chirping. <laughs> they didn't talk the rest of the game. They didn't say a word to us the rest of the game. You know what? I bet you there were girlfriends of the Lincoln Stars. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Oh. We we wanted to do that when we got, went to see uh, the, the Griffins play the Rockford Ice Hogs, but we were afraid for our lives, so we decided not to. But you have to chirp a little bit. It makes sense. Rockford is not as bad as Chicago. If you go to yeah. all, you go to Allstate. That's that's territory. Oh, no, that was my mistake. I'm sorry. We went to Chicago. To me, they're both one and the same. They're both equally terrible. We went to Chicago. That's where we went. I will say this. The only thing good about Rosemont is the fact that that was the original Geno's East. And when before... <laughs> Before the wife and I went on when our honeymoon, we had to stop. We had to stay in Chicago overnight and like, let's go get Gino's East Pizza. And they do it perfectly. The deep dish, they have the sauce on top, but they also put pepperoni on top of the sauce. Mm. For me, for me, that's that's perfect. <laughs> that's so, living. And we almost, I almost convinced her when we flew back from Jamaica. I said, like, we should go to a Wolves game. We got time, and she's like, we are not going to an AHL <laughs> hockey game. But what buzzkill? Well, that well, here's the thing. That would have been the last game we would have gone to that season. <laughs> Cause like, of course, cause we got back the first full week of March. We stayed in Jamaica the first full week and then we came back and that's when everything just hit the fans. So what I say is, Oh yeah. Yeah. Could have gone to a crappy wolves game, but it would have been something that would have been a worse way to end the season. Well, I mean, let's be, I, they were probably playing like Milwaukee or something. So I would not have cared who won that game. That's Uh, true. And between the two, I'd take Milwaukee every time. Mil Milwaukee's nice because I like I'm a I'm a slight Brewers fan. I blame my uncle for that one because he lived in Wisconsin and because <laughs> reflecting I, responsibility. I see. Well, it's it's a nice ballpark. If anyone's ever been to it, Miller Park's actually really nice. So Milwaukee's not a bad town. Chicago, there's pizza and I guess the Cubs. That's all I got for you. <laughs> That's about it. Um, the gold <laughs> more than I've got for it. The golder goaltender we should mention Brandon Bussy or yes. oh, Bussy. Yep, Bussy. Yep. He had a very good season 18 19 i remember seeing him caught with the wrong hand but i don't care 
Uh, they, they, he made us. He, that's, he was probably like that's that was our favorite chirp for him too. Like you catch with the wrong hand, but as long as you make the save, that's all we care. About. Exactly, his personal preference. He's doing well for himself. Yep. Point. I've, oh gosh, where did he go collegially? I'm trying to think now off the top of my head. Uh, he's uh, with I want to say Northern Michigan. Yes. Yes. Yep. And he's. He may not play this. May not have played this last year, but he's going to get a shot. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Northern. He he played he played a little bit last year. I think they did kind of a tandem style type deal, but he he did really well. I was keeping track of him, and he was he was keeping up his good pace. That's for sure. Northern Michigan was a very middle of the pack team. I think they'll be better next year. I'm, I it's like I said, that's the worst part about working with Ferris. Like I'm so involved in the WCHA, it's like just ridiculous. Uh-huh. I just like dive in, just full tilt. I'm like, oh yes, all these guys and. So I know like, like Matt Jerusik and stuff and Harrison Watt, who thankfully moved down to Grand Rapids. I mean, he's, he's a big wings fan and he was one of the people that was actually calm about the draft lottery. Like very like, it's okay, everybody. Um, yeah, he's the, he's one of the, one of the good guys there in that conference for sure. Rachel, it has been a wonderful talk. I wish we could go longer. Unfortunately, time constraints and talking about <laughs> the rando next. We'll have to delay that. Like hey, I, you know what? It just keeps more t- a conversation for next time. You're totally fine. Exactly. See, we're reserving it. It's, it's all strategic. The problem is, though, now I have to come up with another intro. You know how hard? I literally had to look at the intro from the first time, make sure I didn't copycat <laughs> it. You're, you're fine. You could always just go, hey, this is Rachel and Janae from Access Hockey. Bam. Done. Uh, if, I say, if I say, hey, this is Rachel, I'm going to hear my wife come flying in and say, why are you watching Friends? And that's, uh, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> I'm well, don't, sure. don't, 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 me, don't put me in the same batch as Friends. I don't want to do that. Oh, man. No, because then she'll have extremely high expectations. <laughs> <laughs> and it, when it comes to this show, there should be no expectations for this show. Oh, womp womp. <laughs> All right. Oh, of course, my dad says Lou Malnati's. Oh, dad, you're wrong. It's okay. <laughs> this Rachel, we'll talk to you. Make sure you follow Rachel and Janae on Twitter at AccessHockeyMI. Go check out their YouTube channel as well. Uh, Rachel, do you guys have any videos coming up this week? We do, actually. We've got one going live tomorrow that we decided to stir the pot a little bit, and we actually break down Dennis Cholowski and stir where he's going to end up. So yeah. we've we've uh, shared our opinion. We've kind of held it back, but uh, yeah, that's that's going live tomorrow night. So definitely keep an eye out for that one. Is it stirring the pot or trying to stir the cauldron? How big are we talking here? <laughs> um, I would say it's probably cauldron size at oh, this point. Oop, we are we are stirring big things. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. So definitely check that out when you check out the Kula Show on the Kula Show YouTube channel. Make sure you click Access Hockey as well. Give those. Give the two girls oh, obviously a watch. Check out Access Hockey MI on the website as well. Get obviously the great articles that Rachel writes and all the great photos at Janae Photos that she takes and obviously their work with the hockey writers as well. Be able to check them out. They always produce good stuff. If you want your wings talk, your jacks talk, all the good hockey talk for the Red Wings and Michigan for that matter, check them out. Rachel, it's been a pleasure. We'll definitely talk to you soon. Well, I appreciate you having us on again. Have a good one. All right, that was Rachel Anderson. Obviously a fun chat with her. I think we talked with her about probably a good hour, 20 minutes when we had her on a couple months ago, but she has been a fun talk to for sure. So obviously that's just about it for this week's show. Thank you all for tuning in, whether you're watching on 12 Ounce Sports on 12OunceSportsRadio.com, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter for 12 Ounce Sports, whether or not you're watching the replay tomorrow on the Kiel Show YouTube channel or you're listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, wherever. Thank you very much for tuning in. Be sure to stay tuned here on 12 Ounce Sports for Talking Miners with the Rando. He is going to have the new head coach for the Fayetteville Marks, Fayetteville Marksman, excuse me, of the Southern Professional Hockey League, Corey Melkhart, 
joining the rando. You also talk about the Washington football team and all the chaos that's going on over there. Thank goodness we're not a football. That'd be great. And of course, MLB returning this week. He'll talk about all of that. And a big announcement for us. If you follow us on our social media accounts, you'll see, excuse me, where'd where'd that burp come from? Anyways, be sure to tune in on Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time, a autism awareness special here on The Cule Show. It will not be on 12 Ounce Sports Network, though. It's going to be on our own YouTube channel at The Cule Show on YouTube. We'll be going live with Walker Orant, former Davenport Division I hockey player and Pucks for Autism founder Sean Pfeiffer. They have their Pucks for Autism tournament going down in the Chicago area this upcoming weekend. We're going to give them a little bit of a day to kind of talk about it, whatever. We're going to have a deep conversation about the history of Pucks for Autism, Walker's involvement with it, and how autism has affected their lives. And Walker himself, of course, playing with autism as well and been able to, how hockey has been able to help him develop, not just as a player, not just as a person, but as, as a man now graduating from Davenport this past year will definitely be a fun conversation. It'll look a little different because we're going to have them actually live. You'll actually see their faces. We're not going to do a phone-in. We're going to be doing it off of StreamYard, StreamYard, which is another type of streaming service that you can use. My, of course, if you're looking at the YouTube chat, you're seeing QLQuest right now. You are seeing them, my dad, probably getting all mad about Luminati's, but you know what? He's wrong. It's okay. They use StreamYard for their YouTube shows. Make sure you give a shout-out to QLQuest as well. Follow them on Instagram. Colleen and my father are doing awesome stuff with that. They always like to post stuff and have great videos and all the cool stuff, and Colleen's asking me how to do video editing. I'm like, I'm the last guy you want to be talking to about that, but I'll try to help you anyways. That is it for here down in Grand Rapids. The Cule Show is signing off here. Like I said, talking minors coming up next here on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you all once again for tuning in this week. I am Todd Cule here signing off, saying thank you once again for watching this week's episode. We're glad you can. We glad you enjoyed it. We glad you had a good time. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. Whatever all that stuff was from Anchorman. It's been a pleasure. Goodbye, everybody.